Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. We're running the gamut of all of our favorite artists, bands, and albums. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Arcade Fire's Neon Bible and briefly discuss a little bit of their history among some other uh, issues that surround this band. Uh, I picked this, and who am I? My name is Mark. I'm also joined with Eric and Steven. Uh, we're almost like 150 plus episodes into this whole series. I never thought we would be having this many episodes when I uh, texted Steven one day and said, let's make a podcast because no one else is doing that these days. And sure enough, we brought along Eric because we needed to have somebody keep us uh, all in line and organized when it comes to facts. And definitely when we talk about music, Stephen and I can't just do mouth guitar. Uh, Eric needs to bring a little bit of uh, status into this. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember so f- why from the, the very start why we didn't think to have it. For like, for like half a day, we were like, oh yeah, we should have Eric on here. And looking back, I'm like, I don't understand why we didn't think that from the very start. <laughs> Eric, don't get offended. It was like it was like half a day. Like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not. I, no, so. I'm not offended. And I do believe I was I doing this imagine. like I was doing like a trivia podcast that time, and I was like, okay, but I'm not editing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That didn't last I mean, long. Yeah. And I ended up editing every episode in season one, and finally I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, and thankfully, you two took the load a little bit in the Bowie season, um, but. In this never-ending season, we're kind of in the home stretch. I think we have like maybe maybe ten or twelve records left, and then who knows the home what stretch? happens. That's like two hours or two. I'm sorry, two years of fucking podcast. <laughs> I know. But yeah, that's the home stretch. Because <laughs> we each, Stephen had a, a a great idea to have us each pick fourteen records. So um, looking back, I'm sure Stephen would get in his time machine and be like, I, what, "No." <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't remember if that was before I had my second child. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, I do think it was. Well, he was born um, during the pandemic, so he was born in the July of the pandemic, back nine months back. You know, the Bowie season. Yes. Anyways, the Bowie season also took a dog's age. It's true this enough. One, dilly dallying. This one's supposed to go quick, and it is. So uh, we're gonna get right to it. But before we get into Arcade Fire, um, I'm sure that's not the only thing we've been consuming lately. So it is time to plug like a hole. So I'll start. Um, recently, uh, and I say recently because hopefully I can churn this episode out. Um, I took the wife down to the Berkeley Greek Theater, and we saw one of her favorite bands live um, that she's always wanted to see, and that was the band The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Um, they put on an amazing show. Uh, Karen O is an excellent performer. Um, they played uh, essentially a song or songs from each of their discography. Uh, it was great. The audience was really into it. Um, I mean, she was just commanding the audience. Uh, my big recommendation is if you're mildly a fan um, and they happen to be playing in your area, I do think that they're the worth the cost of the ticket. So run, don't walk to see the yeah, yeah, yeahs when they come to your local town. They're very good. I quite enjoyed it. That's odd. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't listened to them in a, anything new by them in a in a few years, but I I did like. It's funny tonight. Tonight, Pod like a whole goes indie. Back when the Arcade Fire was probably just getting started, I was a Yeah 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 fans as well, and I I like the first two records quite a bit. And I don't doubt that they put on a great show. I don't see why they wouldn't. 
Yeah, they get a little more dancey on its blitz, a little bit, uh, take a little bit of a deviation on Mosquito. Uh, but that new record that came out this year, Cool It Down, uh, that is a hot, hot record. Um, I mean, it's in contention with Record of the Year with another record that just came out this month in June. And that band is, tell me all about it, Steve. What's this band that just came out with a new record? I will in one second, but I have to go on record about a record. Uh, the title, Cool It Down, is awesome. Cool It Down! Um, yeah, yeah. Now, my, my plug is uh, the new Queens of the Stone Age album, In Times New Roman. Nothing, nothing, nothing inside. And I've always been a Queens of the Stone Age fan back to their very start. I remember see how somehow they didn't make it into season three, which baffles me. Because they have eight pretty like they've got eight great no, they've got seven great records and one good record. That's a good run. Um, and I mean they date back to I remember very specifically watching M2 and seeing the lost art of keeping the secret video at Mark's parents' house in Loomis in the late nineties. And uh, I liked them then, I like them now, I liked them for a long time. I got to see them tour for the Songs of the Death tour when uh, Nick Oliveri was still in the band, and it was good stuff. I can't remember if Dave Grohl was part of that tour or not. That's not important right now. What's important is that after a six-year hiatus, they put In Times New Roman out, and it is much better than their last record, and their last record isn't bad. It was just produced by Mark Ronson and didn't sound like what I expect from them. Um, but this new record it's got it, the best Queens of the Stone Age albums every song sounds like Queens of the Stone Age but they dabble in different paces and genres a little bit it's always rock music but they they, they use a lot of audio tricks up their sleeves they have a sense of humor on this song a sense of pathos in this song you know oh here comes Mark Lanigan he's gonna fucking scare you on another song may he rest in peace it's just good stuff this one, no guest stars. It's just the band. Um, but after the, my first listen to it, I was kind of like, ah, it's kind of all over the place. After I listened to it a few more times, it was like, no, it's not all over the place. It just, your ears have to adjust. Everything kind of has its right place. And I'm hearing, I, I'm hearing the hard rock and dirty Queens of the Stone Age that I like that wasn't on Villains. But I'm also hearing a little bit of like low era Iggy Pop, David Bowie flourishes here and there. There's another song that I, you know, called Sicily, which is a little bit more iconish. Um, the last track actually goes into like a Doors soft parade tangent. Um, I love it. It's good. And it's funny that Mark mentioned his wife was like the AES, and that's why he saw them. Becky meant I wasn't going to go see them live, but Becky mentioned she wanted to, my wife. And so I bought her tickets as part of her birthday present batch of gifts. Don't tell anyone she's turning 40. And, uh, you know, that little part of her gifts was like my Homer bowling ball present where I'm like, oh, yeah, here's some Queens of the Stone Age tickets. Oh, what a sacrifice. Um, anyhow, great record. And Mark, have you listened to it? Eric, I think oh. you even listened to it. Yeah, let's hear Eric's uh, two cents on this. 
Oh, I, I did my homework, and yeah, I liked it. Um, I mean, I've been on... I, one of the most scandalous moments on the show is when I refer to Queens as basic, basic band, and I, that might have just been me trying to do fun radio. But um, I've never been like... There's never been one that really clicked for me as something to get excited about. I think they're very, you know, objectively talented. And, and, but this album, it sounds good. I really like the, 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 the just fuzzy, chunky garage production, but still some with flourishes to keep it interesting. Um, and there are some real standout tracks on it. Um, uh, I, I, I haven't gone over the moon on it just yet. Um, but there are, but, you know, I think at, at the worst thing I can say about it is sometimes the, uh, the grooves just kind of, groove into the void without any crescendos um and sometimes he doesn't match the 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 intensity with his vocals um and but it's never bad it's just it's just uh it's just kind of you know groovy until it stops uh but there are some amazing songs paper mache that people song is is ridiculous it's great uh okay that's that one i love the end of that one where it's got the uh the the people what the people say he's got the end where he goes into like haunted house vibe and there's like a, a female voice call and response with him. It's awesome. Yeah. And that, that is actually, yeah, to his, but yeah, I, I, I think it's to good. his vocals, never maybe meeting the intensity. And that's one thing I like about Queens of the Stone Age is that I, I think about it all the time. They, they, they used to have a lot of guest vocalists and they do occasionally, but consistently Josh Homie, uh, head writer, guitar player, uh, vocalist. It's not a, it's not a nice nail situation. I mean, the other band members have always contributed. But it's his, it's his, he's the consistent member and the one that started the band. And I can't think of many other bands where the lead singer has a falsetto like he does, um, which is, uh, we haven't used this phrase in a while. To me, it's a feature, not a bug. But Mark, what do you think? Yeah, at first, um, I thought it was kind of a continuation of the previous record, Villains, which I was a little bit just like, okay, um, never quite stuck with me. Um, and so... Upon first listen of In Times New Roman, I just felt that he was painting with that same brush, and it was just kind of a different version of Queens of the Stone Age uh, that kind of this whole new sound kind of fell out of when he did a, a, a super group with John Paul Jones and David Grohl, uh, them Crooked Vultures. And I do appreciate the Queens of the Stone Age where they were kind of like this uh, band of misfits. We were kind of like a biker gang. Like they all took their turns leading the pack. Um, and then that kind of fell apart when um, band members left like Nick Oliveri and then Mark Lanigan uh, passed away. And, you know, like clockwork was definitely a, uh, a shift change for that. And I consider that one of my favorite records of them, but in times new Roman, um, upon first listen, I had spatial audio turned on. It's that feature that Apple music has, and I did not sound good. I thought the production was like echoey. And then when I turned that off and listened to it again, things really started to click into place. Uh, it's a really dynamic record that I've really grown to love in the past couple days. Uh, Queens of Stone Age always has amazing album openers and amazing album closers. And uh, that song, uh, I think it's Obscenery, uh, the first track, mm -hmm. the hurrahs. I, I'm a big fan yeah, yeah. of those. You think that's another thing about them? They have a sense of humor. I mean, yeah. when he writes hurrah like that, he's a, he's a fucking goofball. Uh, uh, yeah, I love Josh. A lot of, 
Yeah, no, he's he's had his trials and tribulations, but he seems to have grown from them. A lot of this record is actually from his very well publicized custody battle with his wife and divorce. And there's lyrics if you read it. Like my favorite one on there is a song called Negative Space. And I'm like, oh yeah, at first it sounds like uh, Agent Tom or you know Major Tom, but no, he's definitely writing about his divorce. It is a good song. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, that is a good a, song. There's a, there's a lot of that going on there, but yeah, you know, awful album for spatial audio. Because like I was saying, when I first listened to it, and I don't remember if it was spatial audio or not, but I was like, ah, it's kind of kind of disparate. It's not gelling, and that spatial audio for certain, like Mastodon, they, they fucked Mastodon all up with those spatial audio. Yes. Gojira yeah, some, also had a record mixed in spatial yeah. audio that sounded like garbage. I know some bands. I, I think spatial audio is probably good for electronic music or pop without a lot going on. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe you know, maybe the the. the I mean, it's also good for like the Wall and, and you know Pink Floyd and shit. But, yeah, I, I think they know. did Animals and. Dark Side of the Moon and some of the Doors stuff in spatial audio that seemed to work, but uh, that one didn't. Um, but yeah, I give Times New Roman. It's quickly climbing up the charts. I think it might be my f- third or fourth favorite. I think uh, right now, I think it's safely the fourth favorite of um, my Queens of the Stone Age record. Well, much like a band we'll talk about tonight, your least favorite Queens record still a good record. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's get into the uh, Eric. What's your plug before we go to the yeah? News? What do you got, uh, Eric? There's some there's some sure. news tonight, gentlemen. Sure, uh, album came out last week by a band I really like called Soft Kill. Um, I like them. They had an album a few years ago called uh, Dead Kids Rip City. They are a you know kind of a throwback. Sounds dangerous. Uh, they're kind of like a throwback to, um, I guess like dark new wavy stuff like they definitely are picking up where like the cure left off after say disintegration uh, but they've got their own kind of uh, almost like an urban swagger to it too um and they put out two albums just this year which is crazy and this new one meta world peace is what it's called <laughs> more of that oh, sound wait hold on it's called meta it's called meta world peace yes run our test <laughs> yeah that's what that's what ron our test renamed himself a basketball player yeah that was on the yeah, kings for so. a while and i love him that's hilarious to me that's yeah, great yeah so it's uh uh just check out the song behind the rain if you if you need convincing um, it's a great great record that just came out um, and also just to talk a movie really quick um I'm a uh, obviously I'm a big David Cronenberg fan. I think we all like some of his movies a lot. Um, his son Brandon Cronenberg is making Daddy proud. He's put out three films that perfectly blend sci-fi and horror. Um, and his new one, Inf- Infinity Pool, just dropped on Hulu, and I just so I watched that recently, and it was fantastic, very creepy. Um, uh, he did another one called Possessor uh, two years ago, which is also amazing. Um, so fans of that kind of blended genre, uh, he's, this is a just big fan of this director. And, uh, like I said, making dad proud. So I read good things about infinity pool. Yeah, definitely like a, uh, a morality tale, uh, could have been like an episode of a, you know, a, a horror of the week kind of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, de- definitely uh, very unsettling. Speaking of, before we get to the news, speaking of Robert Smith, 
and the cure. Um, few things here. One, uh, Mark brought them up yesterday or the day before yesterday, and we were texting about the cure, and that led me to my my son uh, is in, uh, has a summer off like all your kids do too. And I, on the weekends, I've liberally been lading, like, how late can you stay up, kiddo? And like, he's, oh my God, he'll stay up till two if I let him. And we were watching the, uh, the Back to the Future movies together, his choice this weekend. We got through one and two at, till like 2 a.m. yesterday, which is great. He still wanted to stay up. I was like, we got to go to bed, dude. And so we, uh, pulled out a backup bed because his mom was asleep. And I was like, all right, here, do you get your switch? And we can crash together and I'll stay up late and read on a Saturday night at 2 a.m. And uh, I was like, ah, let me put some reading music on. And so I put on a pornography at like 2 a.m. this morning, <laughs> listening to it with my son, who's seven. It was awesome. Uh, that's actually that's a good environment for that, that album. <laughs> um, and then I was bebopping around and I sent you guys a thing. Like, I didn't even realize there's a B side of the cure doing young Americans. What the fuck's that from? What is that from originally? Uh, was that from the, no, well, that wasn't from the, the judge dread soundtrack or something like that. I, <laughs> no, there's a song called like Mr. Dread from the judge dread soundtrack. I, I found right. it on that B sides box set. I have no idea what it's from. Yeah. Um, we're like, I, if it Yeah. What era does it sound like? Like the mixed up type era, you know? No, it's definitely it's definitely early nineties to my ears. Okay. Know. So kind of like the wild mood swings era. Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Obviously we're gonna cover the cure and maybe we'll I'll I'll definitely look in depth on that. Um I have heard it once, but it's been years, and I know that you posted in the writer's room. I, but you know, sometimes we click on things, sometimes we don't. Uh, according to the uh, the internet, it was on a, a radio station compilation. That's where it was where it was first released. So. Uh, I gotta tell you, you know, this was the year of too many concerts, and like I even I even bought tickets for a show I didn't go to, and Mark went. And like I, you know, I Mark bought me a Peter Gabriel ticket, and I said too many concerts, Mark, and he had to sell it to some dude. Um, and then I walked that back when I bought Queens of the Stone Age tickets, but too many concerts this year, so I was like, I'm not paying eight hundred dollars to see the Cure. And well, I am glad I didn't spend that money. God damn it. Every time I fucking see somebody post about this tour on the internet, they're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. The cure is the greatest live band of all time. They played for three hours and I heard every song twice. And I'm like, Oh, kind of bummed. I didn't go see the cure. <laughs> yeah. The only time, um, I've seen them twice once in the curiosa once, uh, for wild mood swings. And there was just them for three hours and it was great. Um, it, the, Robert Smith knows how to connect. Um, but yeah, we'll talk more about that band later. Um, God, I think we already covered this topic on the show. I'm sorry, everyone. We can move to news. <laughs> it's all right. I think I cut that part out, actually. I think I did oh, good. On, on that uh, massive attack episode. So yeah, don't worry. All right. So let's get into the... Is it? Listen, guys, have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? This first thing that... Uh, have you heard about this? Bring in the music. Have you heard about this? Here's the thing. Now, usually on now news items, typically, someone being on a podcast is not newsworthy. There's too many podcasts out there. There's too many people guesting and talking. And we're a podcast. So it's like a TV show promoting another TV show. But in this case, 
you know, the guy that we're all here for, Mr. Trent Reznor, was on a podcast talking more than I've ever heard him talk in my goddamn life. He was on uh, Rick Rubin's podcast. I think it's called, like, Telegram on Non Non or something. I don't know. But can you guys remember the name, the specific name? Eric does. <laughs> Telegram. Tetra- Tetragram or something. I don't know. Yeah. Listen. Tetragram on Mama. Yeah, you know, Google Rick Rubin podcast and it'll come up. His first guest was uh, uh, from the LA Lakers, the coach. What was that coach, Mark? Drifting here. Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson. That was the first guest. And then, uh, you know, 15 episodes later, it's Trent Reznor. So that's the spectrum you're going to get with the Rick Rubin podcast. But he went deep. It was great for any Nine Inch Nails fan. I loved it. I always like the sound of that man's voice uh, when he's just talking. I like him singing too, but actually when he talks, it always sounds like he thinks about his words before he says them. Very measured. Um, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever heard him raise his voice when he's talking. But he brings up uh, that a song by Dua Lipa made him tear up. Dua Lipa is an artist that does pop music that his daughter likes. And he was talking about how, you know, a good song is a good song and pop music's okay. And he never thought he would feel that way when he's younger, but he feels that way now. Sometimes I feel the same way. Um, but I've never heard Dua Lipa in my life and I didn't listen to that song yet. But Mark, you tell me that uh, Dua Lipa's not bad and Trent Reznor should produce a Dua Lipa song. What do you say? <clears throat> this is a Dua Lipa household. Um, my daughter also really enjoys uh, her. She, I mean, she's very pop. Uh, and I think she was even maybe sued for um, song infringement. But Uh-oh. I mean, it's a, me- a melody that uh, I think was used in another. But anyways, she has a really good song with uh, duet with Elton John, of all people. Centerfield. It was Centerfield by John Fogarty. Same melody. All over. <laughs> Everyone just wants to just rip that one. Um but no, Dua Lipa's good. I mean, I could see him doing something like that with her. Uh, I think she's worked with uh, uh, who's the guy from Ch- uh, Cheek and uh, did the Daft Punk record. I think she worked oh, with that dude. He's a friend dude. of the show. Yeah, he's a friend exactly. of Nile Rogers. Nile Rogers. Yeah, I was. I, goddamn it, Dave Bowie guy. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I think of uh, Nils Lifgren, <laughs> Lofgren, and Nile Rodgers, uh, and sometimes in my brain, even though they're vastly different. Oh, um, Nils. Nils. But yeah, Dua Lipa, uh, not bad. Um, I think that she's kind of like a Halsey-esque, and, mm. you know. Forgot all about that. Halsey, isn't that, didn't they produce a, man, a record for Halsey? Was that the they one did. they did? They did. That's why I said it. I was like, yeah, I could see that that collaboration. I mean, they're going to be on, they're scoring a, a movie as well, um, Atticus and Trent. I'm sure that's one of your news items. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So um, Trent is definitely ready to do some stuff for his kids. You got to love it. I have always liked Kawabunga. Yeah, how about how about our, our worlds come colliding? Men of a certain age, forty-one to forty-two year olds. Turtle music being done by Trent Reznor. That's about 
It's, it's, it's about as much of a flat circle as time can get for us. <laughs> well, it makes our holiday episode actually now makes sense. I, I have, uh, I see things in the future and that was one of them. I just like Atticus swinging nunchucks in the studio and Trent with the microphone out there to catch the swooshes. Uh, new, we got a whole new kind of swoosh. <laughs> and you know, another thing, by the way, is that Mike Patton also covered that uh-huh. song. So like, I swear to God, we're all part of the Venn well, diagram right now. His, his vocals are in the Cowabunga collection video game that when my son and I were staying up too late last night, we actually played. So it's all tied together, man. It's all connected, right, Sir Rob? Uh, that's right. Uh, Uncle Acid and the Dead Beats. You remember them? That was an episode about three years ago now, maybe four. They have a new album coming out, but it's a live album. And the only reason I bring it up is because they don't put albums out that often. And they're a really good live band. But I love the name of this album. Slaughter on Fifth Avenue. Slaughter on Fifth Avenue. Live album from Uncle Acid and the Dead Beats coming out on July 28th. That's fun. Tom... Tom Waits, you guys remember him? We just talked about him. Tom Waits' agent, Tom Waits' agent says that Tom has done been doing some recording, but then he got distracted by movies. But now Tom Waits' agent hears that he's writing music again. What do you think about that? Tom Waits' agent says he's writing music again. Now, I think Tom Waits is always writing music, so I don't know how newsworthy this is, but why not? Why not? That's what I hear is he's writing music again. Did you guys hear oh, that? That's great. I did. And the only thing I could think of is that he's a listener for the show. And thanks for listening, Tom. We're glad that we inspired you back to the studio. You got our hint, Tom. You got our hint. Thank you. And you can come guest anytime you want. You can, you can come talk on our, uh, on our public enemy episode. We'll meet you at the state theater at Auburn and we can do a live thing. <laughs> couple of quick hits here let's see uh, the band high and fire who we've never covered is putting a new album together but their new drummer is cody willis from the murder city devils and big business who we have covered so high and fire is recording a new album with cody from the murder murder city devils and big business he's a great drummer i'm sure great. he will fit in with high on fire just fine what else we got here oh on june 30th that's uh as of recording time a few days away there's some kind of single coming out that an ex Dimple employee tipped me off to, Alan. Uh, it's it's a a cover of something or other. I don't have all my notes in front of me, but the people collaborating on it is Nick Cave and Debbie Harry. Nick Cave and Debbie Harry from Blondie. I don't know why I need to say that. We all know who Debbie Harry is. Are covering a song together on some single that comes out on June 30th. So. There you go. He was also spotted at a Springsteen concert with his wife. I love to see Nick Cave shuffling his little booty along to Dancing in the Dark. There you go. That's, uh, it's, uh, that's good synergy there. That's, uh, that, that man cannot dance. I've, we've all seen him live. He can't dance. He's that's like perfect. me. Yeah, exactly. All like all of us. Um, the best yep. dancer out of the three of us is probably Eric, and that's just incredibly depressing because he has he's got a, a bum hip. hip. Yeah, I got a yeah. bum hip. So come on, guys! <laughs> insult, insult to all of us. All right, well, things have been fun, but let's let's bring things down to the muck. I know you guys heard about this, and I actually I watched this story for a while, and I was like, oh god. I mean, I'm not surprised, but really, come on. 
And it seems that Till Lindemann from Rammstein, one of my favorite vocalists of our favorite bands, band that writes songs among, you know, you've got songs that are very introspective, songs that are very funny. But then you've also got songs called uh, Sex or Pussy, among other things. Sounds like Till, who's pushing 60, was probably having uh, relations with younger fans. Not, nothing, nobody, you know, nothing illegal, but still not good. And uh, it turns out some fans were like, yeah, you know, I thought I was going to go to some backstage party, but then Till tried to have sex with me. And when I told him don't have sex with me, he stopped. But still, I had to tell him don't have sex with me. And that's that's what I understand the scandal to pretty much be. Uh, Rammstein has kind of said, yeah, you know, the rest of us, the rest of the band, we're not Till. And sometimes we don't know what Till is doing. But if this is what Till's been doing, Till needs to knock it off. And uh, since this came up, Rammstein's made the move of removing the song Pussy from their set list. And uh, that's the extent of it. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Except it sucks when your heroes are shown to be fallible. Can't say I'm incredibly surprised here. I'm glad that it didn't turn out that he's, you know, from from all reports, Till's always been a weird sex pervert. I'm not surprised if the old man wants to have sex with younger fans. But uh come on, guy. You don't uh Yeah. You shouldn't be doing well, that. Well, I think there the, you go. the the allegations that could potentially be worse if there's anything behind him was that that well a that they're like one of their publicists or somebody was hand selecting people from the audience to be at the after party and then b some of them were claiming to feel like they were drugged which may or may not that, that there's a very good chance that has nothing but to the, do yeah with the drug the drug yeah. claims all got got debunked and okay. researched and yeah that was yeah. and that and that yeah. that 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 would have been terrible but no yeah, that that, that whatever, part of the story they did fire that person that was selecting people yes they they fired they fired the publicist and the cops looked into it and said, no, nobody's drugged. And even some of the people that filed some stories walked it back. But sometimes in those cases, I think the people that walk them back might, you know, they still might think that their story is true. And they're just like, shit, I don't want to have to deal with this now. You know, I, I'm, I believe the people that speak up. Uh, so I just. Uh, something, something bad happened. And uh, yeah. And, you know, he's way too old. And in 2023. Come on, you just if you're a rock star, don't fuck groupies. It's like we know what a power dynamic is now. It's not it's not uh, in, uh, you know, Steven Tyler anymore, as we talked about last night, the other night. Yeah, well, well, unfortunately, you know, old weird Germans, Eric, are one thing. And I can't say if I'm surprised or not surprised, but then even the most woke young people from Canada can also be doing similar things. (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah. Very, it's ex- it's a, it's exactly what happened. Segue, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, so I guess yeah. The before phrase, we get to the, the phrase record, "power right? dynamic" is definitely it. Yeah. So oh, this God, is we, not... we have to get it. We have to get it out of the way. We got to get it out of the way. We're now going from uh, nine inch news, or I'm sorry, it's now called. Did you hear about this? To well, we did hear about this, and also tonight's records are Arcade Fire record. Yeah. Yes, we call this and new, uh, this new segment, the the Diddler Digest. We cover all of the <laughs> inappropriate behavior. Uh, <laughs> He's uh, also a Batman villain, the Diddler. Um, well, no, we just we're gonna, you know, do we do we have a file in the in the over of Pod like a whole that's the separate the art from the artist file? I, yeah, I guess. 
we we deleted Marilyn Manson. We we will not celebrate them anymore because that guy's just beyond. You can't you can't justify what he's been accused of doing. And uh, but I would put Romstein probably where I put Arcade Fire now, where I'm like, ah, you know, if I squint, I'm not. I can still listen to their music. It disappoints me, but nothing here was maybe done that was terrible. But I wouldn't do that. But it's still terribly wrong. Anyhow, Mark, give us the story. I start yeah. the arcade fire talk. So let's start the arcade fire talk. And before I guess we do, um, yeah, this band right now is kind of considered problematic, but it's not like the entire band that's problematic. It's one person, very similar to the Romstein situation, uh, and we've got. Wynn Butler, the lead singer um, who was accused last year, I th- want to say. Um, yeah. The, it last was year. an invest. Yeah. Because uh, it was roughly right after um, the release of the record We and right before they were to go on tour uh, where Feist and Beck were going to be opening up for them. Um, and they both backed out. But Pitchfork Media did an investigation. Four individuals came forward. Uh, They were of legal age between 18 and 23 at the time. And they alleged that uh, Wynn was being... Hey, let's... let's, um, let's, One more. Just pause real quick. Sure. Because I said the same thing. I want everybody to understand that legal age, 18 to 23, people are still kids in my mind. 100%. You can't go to jail for it. Yes. Continue, Mark. Yeah. Um, But, you know, Wynn Butler is married to someone in the band, Regine. Uh, They even have a son together. Um, And this all was occurring between 2015 and 2020, where Regine and uh, Wynn had their son in 2013. Um, I'm not sure the what goes on in their private life, whether or not they maybe have an open relationship. But uh, some of his accusers, three women said uh, that Wynn was pretty inappropriate due to the age gap and that, like what Eric was talking about, the unbalanced power dynamic. Um, you know, here this guy is a critical darling and very, very active in uh, uh, humanitarian causes. Um, and here he is kind of being a little aggressive Um where he's sending very sexual messages via text um, and in some cases actually having sexual encounters. Uh, Wynn said they were all consensual and that everything has been um, blown out of proportion and it's retroactively kind of rewriting history. He definitely has apologized and said that, um, you know, he he apologizes for hurting anybody um, uh, through his behavior and not saying that um, he didn't engage in these uh, situations, but he thought at the time that it was consensual and he would, certainly doesn't sound like the power dynamics was in his mind, even though they certainly were. I mean, he's mm-hmm. a celebrity, a rock star. Yeah. yeah like, come on guy. <laughs> You know. Yeah. Um, now, the, the, here's here's the difference between this and the Romstein, in my mind. Is with Romstein, you know, both are wrong. Um, uh, with Romstein, it sounds like it was girls that went backstage, and then, you know, uh, it it was. I don't want to use the phrase more than they bargained for. I don't know how to put it, but 
be beyond girls going led backstage by some like weird uh, uh, fan wrangler. It didn't seem like Till was going out and hunting them down. Um, also with Till, I'm like, okay, I'll go through all the records and I'll be like, unfortunately, this kind of tracks. I also think they should be above this. Like you're supposed to be like a weird sex poet, not a weird sex pervert. I don't know what else to say. But I'm like, all right, uh, fucking Romstein's weird. I, I, I bums me out, but I'm not totally surprised here with Till in, anyways. Um, with Win Butler, uh, it seems like he was pursuing some of these girls like quite a bit. Uh, you know, texts back and forth, and you know, uh, trying to, hey, can I come meet you at your house, kind of shit. And also, uh, it. it Part of what makes me sad is that this band always seems to have like this family vibe and it makes some of that seem disingenuous to me. Now, father figures can be total pieces of shit and still be good father figures. That's true. But still, the fact that he's married to his wife and, you know, I don't know if they have some kind of, you know, weird relationship thing like you're saying. That could be true. Relationships are sticky, especially after you have kids, as we all know. So it's just stranger with with Arcade Fire. This whole thing made me be like, ah, that just brings an air of uh, I don't know hypocrisy. Dis- hypocrisy, dis- dis- But at the same time, can I say hypocrisy? I mean, we've all had two kids. We all know that marriages are not. Yeah, you know, I think Mad Men, which I'm finally done with season two. Mad Men paint now. None of us are Don Draper. We wish we we don't even wish we were. But I think Mad Men paints a really good picture of like uh, your nuclear family is never as clean as you think it might be, and we all know that now. You have two kids, and just things are not. It's, it's not you know what, whatever you think you're getting into with a family is not what you're going to get. But I still think trying to have a stable family environment is like the paramount, most important thing in the world. And having an open relationship probably to me isn't going to. Uh, be a good thing for your kid. I don't know. I don't know when Butler. I don't know what to tell you. It just seems disingenuous to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Regine even said in the statement that she said that she was certain that he had never touched a woman without consent. So she's definitely standing by her man. Uh, she even added that he has lost his way and he has found his way back. I love him and love the life we have created together. Um, so, man, uh, whatever is going on in that marriage, that's obviously up to them. Uh, it is unfortunate that four other women were hurt by his uh, misbehavior. And uh, certainly, Pod Like a Hole doesn't condone that. And it's not to say that we're celebrating um, his actions. Uh, we, we definitely uh, do have empathy and sympathy for those who have been uh, in an abusive uh, situations. So any comments that we make tonight about either Arcade Fire, the band, Arcade Fire, the album uh, that we're going to be discussing tonight, we are really separating um, all of his issues that he's had uh, very recently that have come to light. I had had considered taking him off the roll call uh, just so that way we could avoid making it seem that we were, uh, you know, celebrating something that was obviously kind of uncomfortable and difficult, but you know, there are things that even David Bowie uh, transpired in 
that are pretty salty uh, that I still yeah. to this day, um, you know, will still love that man. He's still on my Mount Rushmore. Um, well, what I, what I was going to say along with uh, that. Uh, oh, sorry. Go on. Go on, Mark. My bad. I was just going to say, you know, Trent Reznor has been accused of certain things. Um, I He's denied them, and they never really went anywhere. Um, so, yeah. Well, that, and especially that Marilyn Manson. That was also Courtney Love that, would, that made that accurate. Yeah, so consider the source. Yeah, but, you know, you don't believe all women, but still, though. No, it's true. I get it's it. True. It's true, but I, what I was going to say was I mean, Courtney. Courtney loves kind of like a Mount a Mount Rushmore to herself, though. Of like, uh, and I and I say this now after listening to some interviews with her and revisiting her place in rock and roll. There's not a lot of people like Courtney Love out there. Sometimes I'm like, ah, she's kind of all over the place. I'm like, yeah, but wouldn't you be too? I mean, this is a woman that was in the center of like a male dominated industry for years and and actually broke through. Yeah. So. I don't know. I, I, I have a that's lately. I've had a newfound respect for her. I've always liked her. I owned lived through this. I wasn't, you know, it's never had a problem. Pretty good record. Love. Yeah. But lately I've been like, yeah, Courtney was a, you know, she, she actually did a, did a lot with her little, you know, she would, I don't know. had, a, had, had more of a footprint than I thought she did. Anyways, I'm sorry. Eric, what are you saying? No, I think it's fair. Oh, all I was going to say was, I mean, it's good to keep him on the list, Mark. I mean, in, if, if you're going to be a music fan in general, I think you're just going to have this crux now. And we're living in a time where, thankfully, the, the concept of a power dynamic is out there. And maybe it's making people be more thoughtful. I mean, ask somebody like Gene Simmons, and he's telling you the whole point of rock and roll is to fuck fans. Um, you know what I mean? And, and, and a lot of that was the culture. And that doesn't mean it's okay. Um, I do think it means that you know men are inherently pigs and if if the if the culture doesn't change then they have no they'll have no reason to second guess themselves so oh uh, no half half the reason half the reason that rock and roll exists is so men can get laid i i it's true yeah right i'm, I'm, I'm mean, glad there's much more to rock and roll the math does just, check out yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so i mean i think i think then with that now just where we are we i just take that context into it and if if someone's a dirtbag uh then they still make great music but we have to take that that into light and as we'll see as we go through the album maybe there's some strange lyrics that hit a little differently now that we know some of those things so well, let's get let's let's talk more about where does the arcade fire come from. This will come up again tonight, I'm sure. Maybe it won't. But talking about the record Neon Bible by the band Arcade Fire, that are uh, from Canada. What else do we need to know about this band, Mark? Well, very briefly. Um, so the band uh, was formed in Montreal. Canada uh, around 20, 2001. It was Win Butler and a gentleman uh, by the name of Josh Dio or Dio, Do. I'll just pronounce it that way because it's not Dio. Um, but he left the band even before they even got to their first EP. Um, he went on imagine to do Dio and Arcade Fire. You imagine <laughs> that'd that? be Those something. Woes. Those woes would they would go to <laughs> epic heights. Um, but it was soon after they uh, met with Regine Chassain, um, who was a music student and she plays basically everything you'd ask for. Uh, they got together um, when Butler and Regine started dating. And uh, I mean, this, this band has had like where it feels like there's 12 people on stage at some uh, uh, points 
Currently, who's in the band right now is just Wynn Butler, Regine uh, Chassain, uh, Richard Reed Perry, Tim Kingsbury, and Jeremy Guerra. Uh, in the past, they also have Sarah Neufeld, who plays the violin uh, with them live. It's not really a member now. She kind of has her own thing. And even Wynn Butler's uh, little brother, Will Butler, was in the band, but he left uh, prior to the recording of their new record, We. Um, when I was doing research, I also found it very interesting that Wynn Butler, um, he was born in Truckee, um, our neck of the woods. I, Steve goes up there in vacations kind of often. Um, it's a little. Yeah, I, I, I like Truckee a lot. I've got a friend of mine that I haven't talked to in almost a decade now was from Truckee, Regan, who I used to go to shows with. You guys met him once or twice. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, Regan. He's a good dude. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, we like to, there's a cabin we rent there. Truckee is a beautiful part of California. It snows there, but then in the summer, you know, you got some nice rivers. And I had no idea until Mark pointed out to me that he was originally from Truckee. And then I was like, uh, makes sense that he's from a, a rural Californian town. That makes absolute sense. So was not shocked. Yeah. Um, I mean, his real name is Edwin Farnham Butler. The third. <laughs> I mean, he sounds like, you know, someone who grew up, you know, in a Amish community. Um, and he dresses like someone from an Amish community. Yeah. So it all comes together. Farnham. But they, reloc- they relocated to Montreal, Canada. Um, and then I th- they currently live in New Orleans um, w- with the family. But Arcade Fire, they've got... Let's see how many records they have. They uh, Their first debut album is Funeral, which is amazing. That's how I heard about this band, is where David Bowie was coming on uh, interviews and talking about this particular record, and he bought a whole bunch of copies and gave them uh, to all of his friends and family as uh, Christmas gifts. This is around the time when David Bowie was really into the Arcade Fire and also Vampire Weekend. He was Vampire not Weekend. But the Vampire right. Weekend. And I can and tell that you was what. A band, which is, that band didn't take is, for me, but yeah. yeah well, which of these bands do we still talk about today? So, yeah. Exactly. So that was in 2004. Uh, 2007, um, they start kind of ramping up their whole trajectory. They're getting um, accolades. They're getting um, more uh, sales units. Um, some of these records go platinum for crying out loud. So neon Bible comes out in 2007. We're going to be talking about that. They really get um, on the map with their third record, the suburbs released in 2010 um, where it even wins album of the year um, at the Grammys. And they uh, performed at the Grammys that year. Personally, the suburbs I think is a good record, um, but I don't think that's the one they should have been recognized as album of the year. But it's also I think their most middle of the road, right down Broadway. Um, you know, high fastball. Um, that record does appeal to a lot of people. Um, it's got like it's a theme. It's a it's a it's a themed record that a lot of people that are buying records can relate to, and that's just growing up in the suburbs and being a music fan and. Uh, Definitely. I, I, I like that, that element, but I think you're right. I don't think it's their strongest record and it's not necessarily doesn't have a lot of the sound that I like. I do like that song sprawl too, though. I think that song is sweet. 
I don't mean to skip over the funeral, um, uh, the funeral record. I mean, if you want to go like just brief thoughts on each of these as we talk about, but the fun- funeral oh, album is I, amazing. Um, I think we should just rank them. Let's just rank them at the end. Okay. You got it. I've got after listening to me on Bible more, I've got things to say about all of them. Let's just save it for the end. I mean, go, go got through it. them, but let's give our opinions at the end. And then in 2013, they come out with a uh, double album called Reflector. Um, has a little bit of production work from James Murphy from LCD Sound System. Um, the even has David Bowie on the title track. Um, it is a, a very sprawling album. It's uh, got a little bit of like Haitian um, type down tempo dub stuff. And here comes the night. Um, it's, it's a good record. It's just, sometimes it can be a very long record. Uh, everything that now, title track, that title yeah. track. I mean, I've got that. We, we discussed it on the pod during the Bowie season. And it's amazing. That, yeah. 50. Did, hey, Steve, 50 songs. I'm like, all right, well, reflector is going to go in my top 50 songs somewhere. That song. Absolutely. It when is. His, when David Bowie's little voice pops in, it's just, I can get out of here. Oh Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Uh, 2017 uh, was the release of Everything Now. And um, I got to tell you, uh, it did, It took me a bit um, to get into this record. Um, there's some really good gems on here. Um, but for the most part, I would probably rank this one towards the bottom, even though it's still a pretty good record. Um, I do like the themes that are on here. Uh, you'll, as we talk about Neon Bible, we're definitely going to talk about very recurrent themes that show up a lot of times on their all of the records. Um, and then recently, uh, last year, 2022, they released the album We, which is their shortest album to date, um, but it's still highly, highly, highly quality work where even Peter Gabriel finds his way on there. Um, they've done a soundtrack really- with the... The her, I really um, like we. I, I listened to the shit out of that album when it first came out. Yeah, um, but that's pretty much their their career. They've done a few EPs. They really started in 2003 with a uh, self titled EP. Uh, definitely sounds like it was recorded in their bedroom. Um, it's not bad. One of the songs on there, uh, "No Cars Go," uh, reappears on Neon Bible, so that's fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of this band, uh, they have just progressively gotten more and more popular in terms of their album sales, in terms of the shows that they're released or the shows that they, uh, put on the NFL even licensed the song, wake up, uh, from their album funeral for the 2010 that's, Super Bowl. That's insane to me. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's got a very propelling riff. I remember seeing that song also featured in Where the Wild Things Are sound uh, during the trailer for that Spike Jones movie. And I think two nationally syndicated sports radio, like the Dan Patrick show and the Petros and Money show, both use that song as bumper music. So whatever, like this is like the new Gary Glitter song, apparently for some folks. Um, or the Seven Nation well, Army song, I guess. Let's before we get into Mark, if I may hijack, but not really. Yeah, that's before fine. we get into before we get into how we got into the band. That that's funny you say that they were used for such popular things. I mean, you don't get much more into the monoculture than uh, sports. 
So, Arcade Fire was kind of like part of some kind of like movement that also became what we heard from a lot of indie music at the time. And I'm a little handicapped here because around the time that Arcade Fire started becoming popular, a few years after that, like I started just listening mainly to what I wanted to hear more and didn't focus on new music. But we all know that you also had the Mumford and Sons and the Lumineers. And there, there seemed to be a lot more bands that had like a little, little foothold in folk, but they also had way too many instruments. And they also shouted, whoa, a lot. And a lot of those bands became very popular. Uh, Mumford and Sons, for example, Mr. Mumford uh, did the theme song for Ted Lasso, and it's a terrible theme song. Um, so that's who that is. Oh that God, is, that, that is, is the, that is that is yeah. an instant skip. And I, I love Ted Lasso, but heaven knows I tried. Terrible. Um, do we do we blame Arcade Fire for this rise, or were they just part of it? Did it start before them? What do you guys think? That's a really good question. Eric, do you have anything to say on this? Yeah, I ruminated on this quite a bit um, because we were working in the record store. Um, I was definitely dabbling in like indie a lot more at that time um, with the Modest Mouse and and uh, Your Murderous Devils and then Black Heart Procession and then I and Arcade Fire. Uh, around this time, there was also another Canadian supergroup called uh, Broken Social Scene. Terrible name. But a, another band that had cool production and just a thousand members, Feist was in, was in that band. Um, so I always like definitely compared the two. Um, I think Arcade Fire uh, is, is more like uh, pop centric and, and, and better production. So I think they, they definitely took hold a lot more. Anyways, um, but because of Arcade Fire's like really like driven down uh, basically mission statement, they, they popped and and indie rock became mainstream rock and um yes and then from there you got your vampire weekends and your uh your mumford and sons and you got these these uh these bands were all major label bands at this point um and i think i don't know if we blame arcade fire for it they definitely have a little twee aspect to them um that uh became insufferable with Mumford and Sons in my opinion. But um I don't know. I I I I don't know if I blame Arcade Fire for that. They certainly opened the doors uh for that for a while. For sure. Now I wouldn't call our uh, Vampire Weekend. And I don't have a chart here. And I'm struggling for more bands besides Mumford and Sons and Lumineers, but I know there was more. That were also in the same vein as Arcade Fire, where there was a lot of woes. There was a lot of forward momentum, galloping, folk type stuff. There was way too many members in the band, and there was lyrics about enjoying life in the country. Um, Vampire Weekend bon was Iver. more Bonavere. Yeah, bon oh, yeah. Yep. There, you yep. Yep. there you go. Yep. Yeah. Vampire Weekend was more. Dang. Vampire Weekend was more uh, block party, TV and the radio style. Um, TV and the radio are friends of the show, but I thought about this too. And I think these bands that had this big, big maximalist sound, and they all wanted to go back to nature, the Arcade Fires and the Mumford and & Sons and the Lumineers and uh, the Bonavers, I think they all started because they would have started anyhow. But if I tried to find a band that could be their godfather, it would be the Flaming Lips with Soft Bulletin and Yoshimi because those albums have this crazy maximalist sound that overwhelms you and there's way too many instruments. 
So that's where I think it all comes from is the flaming lips. Yeah. There you go. The, po- the polyphonic spree was another like 24 yes. member band, but they just had a bunch of singers. That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now just when I, when I think of the song, do you realize like if you listen to the song, do you realize I'm like, Oh, that sounds like the arcade fire to me. Um, Speaking of which, uh, Flaming Lips, uh, the lead singer, Wayne Coyne, had some shit talking to say about Arcade Fire. He said that those motherfuckers were pretentious and just a pain in the ass to deal with backstage. Um, and then I think well, then, Wynn even came out and was, was like, hey, we weren't that bad. It, it, it was something. <laughs> well, for some reason, I think that backs up what I was saying. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a band that I need to revisit is the, uh, the flaming lips. They have some great records, but I, I have not listened to a new album of theirs in like 10 years. Yeah. I mean, some of their records definitely sound like it could be Sesame street music. And I know that's probably a feature, not a bug, but, um, you know, when I have to get four CD players to actually experience a record like Zarika, Zarika, that was just one get out time. of town with that. <laughs> <laughs> That was a fun experience right, right. I did at my parents' house. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, my personal history with Arcade Fire um, was pretty much what I had mentioned earlier. David Bowie said, hey, you should check this out. I got a promo. Listen to Funeral and um, listen to it once, threw it in the back of the, the drawer. And then I started reading more and more about it. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's, this band. Um, and uh, Power Out, uh, Wake Up. Rebellion, all of them are stone cold classics. And then uh, some of my coworkers were also radicalized by it. And we just started talking about it. And then I just got on the train and never got off. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I got Funeral also when it came out. I don't remember the David Bowie recommendation, but I'm sure it was you actually, because we were, we would have been hanging out at that time. And um, I got that and I liked it pretty well. And I got Neon Bible when it came out and liked it pretty well. And then. Um, I think I slept on suburbs for whatever reason. I think I was getting kind of further away from that, that kind of stuff, or I wasn't, I wasn't just had to collect it when it came out anymore. I was, I was kind of dabbling in some of the, uh, getting back into my hip hop and electronic stuff. But, um, but then when reflector came out, I did, was an LCD fan. So I, you know, I swooped that up, but then I didn't check anything out when it came out again until we, so, um, so they're a band that like, I've always had about a B B plus average on. I've liked them, but um, am not like chomping at the bit. Um, but always enjoy my my time with them. Stephen, your personal history with Arcade Fire. Yeah, the uh, I, I remember I read about them probably in Pitchfork or something, and uh, it might have been somewhere else. But I actually was working with a friend of the show, Jason Hellowell, at the time at a warehouse job. And I went and bought their album at the Best Buy nearby on a lunch break. And I came back and we put it on. And we both had no idea what we were going to listen to at work. And we kind of looked at the boombox like, what the fuck is this? It's good, but this is, we didn't expect this. And so that's how we heard about it and um, liked it. Um, that was Funeral. And Funeral went into my rotation. I thought Funeral was very good. And then I always think that. Funeral is one of the last CDs I bought. That's not true, though, because I bought Neon Bible, too. And that was like, what, four years later, three years later. So Neon Bible is probably one of the last CDs I bought. Um, 
and I didn't listen to it nearly as much as I did Funeral. Uh, didn't dislike it. And uh, there you go. But yeah, I read about it in the in the trades. I, I bought Funeral on a lunch break two decades ago. Never seen them live, but never disliked them. I always follow them. Um, Reflector, when that came out, I was blown away by it. Yeah, I didn't really listen to everything now much. And then uh, I really liked that last album. But I, I never disliked Arcade Fire. I'm not a super fan, but I really appreciate their music. There, there you go. I did see Arcade Fire live at the uh, aforementioned Greek Theater in Berkeley. It was during the Suburbs tour, and it was great. Um, they do put on an excellent show. Um, so with that, we've covered the band history just a little bit. We've dabbled into it. Um, we've talked about his problems and his issues and how awkward it is to sometimes uh, say how great he is. But uh, here we are. Let's go into... Before we, before we move on, since I've never seen them live, can you answer a question for me? Sure. I think I read about this when I, when I heard about them. Uh, I don't know when you saw them, but was there a point in this band's life where it's like someone would wear a helmet and for percussion, they would like hit it with tongs or did I make that up? Um, I don't remember any helmet wearing, but it is possible. Richard, um, the uh, Richard Reed Perry, uh, he's kind of like their, um, what's the inventor on DuckTales? That's who he reminds me of. Um, who's also there. (laughs) That's who he reminds me of gyro gear loose. Um, so I wouldn't put it past him. He's also, you know, uh, cut from the same cloth as, uh, from Romstein. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me, uh, during wake up, they definitely get, you know, some more percussion out there to, you know, bang on some drums and things like that. I don't it's like, that. it's like, it's like, you know, if that does exist, I mean, that's like a, you know, a slip knot that you can try to impress a girl with. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. That's, I always, I heard that and I always thought it was funny. All right, let's get into I this mean, album. Let's do it. So neon Bible, it was released March 5th, 2007. It was produced by the band arcade fire. Uh, they did have some mixing help, uh, from Nick Lanay, who also did some work with some of our favorite bands like Nick cave, um, but let's start with track one, which is Black Mirror. So let's hear a little bit of that. was a little bit of black mirror so the album opens up with a very kind of 
different type of sound for for Arcade Fire. Um, I would say different in terms of lyrics. So Black Mirrors, there are all kinds of screens is what he's talking about. Uh, whether they be televisions, computers, mobile phones, or almost any devices, anytime that you have them turned off, what are you looking at? You're looking at a black screen that's a black mirror. Um, they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. They're, I'm w- looking at one right now, for crying out loud. And what they're really trying to say is that there's just a negative feeling on the fact that you can't really express your true self on them. Everything is not really reflecting of who you are, but who you potentially are trying to be in a different whole environment. Um, like lyrically, you see the a whole uh, motif of ocean. Um starting here as well. So ocean that uh, he's referring to is always about the loss of control. And that whole theme appears very, very regularly on this record. Um, The fact that we are losing ourselves into this digital space that we just have no control over. And it's not necessarily a reflection of who we actually are. Um, and it makes it sound like this evil entity. And in fact, I've not a big, I haven't never watched the show and I, people talk about this show all the time. And that is that Netflix show black mirror where the creator actually uh, was very inspired by this song and uh, used this uh, as a, a launch pad for that particular concept. I've heard it's not like necessarily a, uh, serialized show that it's kind of like a episodic twilight zone kind of situation. Have either yeah, of you it's like a, it's very, it's very British. Sorry to step on you, Mark. You're going to, no, yeah. I was just going to ask you guys if you've uh, seen this show, Becky, the wife has watched it more than I have, but I've watched a few of them and yeah, it's very British. Um, it's very, it's yeah. There's no narrative <clears throat> that carries over from one episode to the next. And you are correct. He named it at my research. They named it after this song. And I had no idea the idea of the black mirror being like your phone or your iPad or your laptop, even that makes perfect sense. Um, so yeah, Eric, you seem like a guy that's probably watched every episode of black mirror. Actually, no, I haven't. Um, the, the whole like serialized, unless it's like a, yeah, I, 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 it's, it's hard for me to like just sit in and binge all of it, but I'll watch one here and there. And I like a lot of what I've seen. It's, it's hit and miss like any of those kind of shows. Um, but yeah, and it usually technology is usually a theme in whatever morality tale they're they're telling. Um, so it, it it a lot of it is around, um, you know the 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 the, the possible pitfalls of 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 tech and and, and looking forward into the future. Um, so yeah, but uh, there's the pros episodes. and cons of hitchhiking. There's also a uh, that that there's a classic episode with the uh, Miley Cyrus doing Nine Inch Nails song. So, yeah, that's right. That's I remember hearing about that, and I, I think it was this show. That's right. I'll have to check that shit out. Uh, what, Steven, what do you think of Black Mirror? Yeah, I like. It's a good opener. I like. Um, you know, I like how it kind of rumbles in. Um, for whatever reason, I always remember this record being very dense sounding. It's not as dense as I remember, but this album does have some like thickness to it. And this song kind of rumbles in, takes a minute to get going. Um, 
but it's still like you know right rising action is always something that i like and arcade fire always has had a lot of rising action and even this track it's kind of subdued a little bit as it gets going it kind of chugs along but then there's a point where win butler's voice kind of hits like a new you know octave and the whole band kind of jumps in and it really gets going um yeah i dig it and there's some kind of violins or some string work in this, and I, I, I dig the uh, string work. It's a good track. And I didn't even think about the lyrics much besides the reference to the British TV show until you described that tonight, Mark, and I like it even more now. Eric, what do you think of Black Mirror? Yeah, I like this song a lot. Um, at some point between Funeral and this album, um, they they amped up production, and I will say that, um, you know, in the end, the, when the history books are written on Arcade Fire, they did leave us a lot of great songs, but I think they pushed uh, production, um, and and I think it, their albums are pretty meticulously produced. Um, and if their songs weren't so good, then you would just have a bunch of bells and whistles, and not a lot of, um, you know, you wouldn't go on a journey, but you do go on a journey. And this song, I love the rumbling timpanies that are to be like the waves or the storm. Um, the uh the the pounding piano as it as, you know as it leads up to to uh the next verse um and the the lyrics are cool uh really the the theme of the ocean is all over this record um and you know, if you look at an ocean at night that's that's a black mirror it reflects as is your your phones and your screens and and i think this there's a lot of ways you can take that and, and, you know, when Butler has a lot of, um, takes, takes that theme across many songs on here of self-reflection. Um, and you're, you know, looking at, you know, you're never going to be satisfied, uh, fully satisfied with the, um, you know, I guess the social, the social media piece, you're never, if you, if you really look inside of yourself with self-reflection, you may expose, uh, it it may not be the cathartic moment you're looking for. It may uh, unearth new issues. And I think that that spreads all over this record. And, and this, uh, if this was a play, this would be a great opening track because it kind of lays it all out there for you. Um, but it's still a catchy song. It's still a, a, a really just well-written rock song. Um, so yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah. And about the production, um, one thing that's worth mentioning is the fact that they recorded funeral inside an attic studio, but this time they're like, we were on a really big sound. So they actually purchased, um, this place called the Petite Eglise uh, in Farnham, Quebec. And this place was once a church and also a Masonic temple where the Freemasons, this is where Homer Simpson had to be chained to that big, big rock. Um, the Stonecutters. The Stonecutters. Farnham? Did you say the word Farnham again? Wasn't that Farnham. That his real name? Yeah, that's his uh, middle name. Yeah, in Farnham, Quebec. Um, that's why he moved there. But that pretentious fucker. um and you know very very inspired by the sound of americana uh and we're going to hear a little bit of that in our next track um but 
the whole theme of Neon Bible, as we'll probably get to when we talk about the self-titled, is that they watched a lot of TV preachers, a lot of get-rich-quick schemes. Uh, something you would find on uh, Righteous Gemstones was probably an inspiration for this. Um, with, so without further ado, let's keep the car running. So that was Keep the Car Running. Um, the first time I heard this song, it definitely sounded like a Springsteen song. You know, just a very Americana, just guy down on his luck, just trying to keep that car running um, to that American dream. Um, and I got to tell you, I think my instincts are a little right. Um, this song is definitely talking about a land of commercialism um, and kind of have trying to keep like the fear and anxiety at bay. Now, there's a weight that's pressing down late at night. You can hear the sound, even the noise you make when you sleep. Um, just, it seems that there's got to be a getaway happening. Um, when I was doing some research, when Butler said uh, to the AV club, um, it's hard not to be cynical about certain things. I just finished reading a George Orwell book, and he's talking about England during World War II, the political culture. Um, and kind of going down, he says, actual patriotism has to do with loving a place enough to try and improve it. Um, he was saying that patriotism and intelligence need to coexist or else the world really goes to shit. Um, that doesn't sound familiar today, does it? Um, no, I was going to say, what year was this? Because... Uh not how things that's not how things have been going buddy but i agree with you yeah yeah um and then he even said that there are two kinds of fear the bible talks a lot about fear of god fear in the face of something awesome that kind of fear is the type of fear that makes someone want to change but a fear of other people makes you want to stay the same to protect what you have it's a stagnant fear and it's paralyzing um and uh yeah that's Kind of, this is one of my favorite Arcade Fire songs. It um, uses a, uh, an instrument called the hurdy gurdy uh, for crying out loud, and um, it's like this medieval thing that you have to use, like a hand crank. Um, and uh, they brought a man. 
<laughs> exactly. They brought accordions on the last record, so they decided to up the ante with using a hurdy-gurdy. But I love Keep the Car Running. It's a great track. Eric, Keep the Car Running. Yeah, it's good. And I, and I have Bruce Springsteen notes as well. I think his delivery uh, certainly reminds me of some Springsteen. Um, and I th- would say that I see some parallels in the production on this and and even like Born in the USA album. It, you know, it's big. It's loud. Is it necessary? Maybe not. Is it gilding the lily? Yeah. Um, you know, but does it make it an experience? And it does. And um, and and I, you know, with all the bells and whistles they add to these tracks. Um, and but I do in production and delivery, I, I, I do think of Born in the USA era Springsteen. Um, but yeah, I, I like the song and it is, you know, talking about the anxieties of the state of the, the country and the world. But also there's like, you know, an escape hatch and a, a, a.k.a. like hope for something better. Um, it's got that kind of um, it's got that kind of force that 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 maybe lifts you up a little bit, which is great. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, Springsteenian references because I wrote them down myself that in this song, even lyrically and some of the forward momentum of this track is very uh, Springsteen of the height of his powers style. And also, if you guys did your research, there's a video of Springsteen playing this song with the Arcade Fire. Did either of you find that? Only when one of you sent it to me. Only when one of you sent it to me. Yeah. It's a pretty shitty recording, but it is a pretty cool special thing. It's pretty neat. Yeah, it just it goes to show, though, that you know, there definitely is the uh, parallels there. And I do think on this album, they start... I don't hear a lot of Springsteen on Funeral, but I definitely start to hear some of it on this album. I hear another artist that I'll bring up later. Um, but definitely, this uh, Keep the Car Running. I, I The Arcade Fire, to me, I really like them when... They kind of like are like Steven Spielberg, the band at times to me, and not just because they have an album called The Suburbs, but also because there's an album called The Suburbs. But songs like this, I just they have like a. They, we talked about themes of family earlier, and Spielberg reminds me of family a lot, especially 80s Spielberg. And just like if you're able to like, you know, get some chart, if there's a, you know, the same feeling of 80s Spielberg's movies that you know, tap some emotion in me. Some of Arcade Fire's music also does the same thing to me. This is one of those songs. Hey, maybe Springsteen too. My only issue with this track is I think it's missing a big moment at the end. And Arcade Fire are no strangers to big moments. And this one, I think they do this on purpose. They just cut it off. They're like, nope, song's done. I think it could use one more big rising action, but you don't get it. They deny you that. Yeah, no, I think you're uh, you're right about that. Um, let's move on into the Neon Bible. Let's crack that book. Sitting, sitting. 
So this is kind of a little quiet little interlude. Um, I think that it does uh, a, a very good job of kind of discussing some of the issues of commercialism and religion. Um, you even hear like a little bit of a crackling neon light in this song to kind of give you that image. Um, you know, I always kind of thought that Arcade Fire were just slightly religious. They always look like a bunch of Mormons, you know, that are ready to come to your town to spread the good word. Like if they're on a mission, you'd see these fuckers on a bicycle or something like that. Um, but maybe the reason why I really actually like this record is because they're pretty cynical about religion um, as it is. Um I can. I don't think religion is evil. I, I do think that people um, can exploit religion um, uh, for their own advantages and gain, um, where it preys on kind of the the people that are really looking for hope or looking for something. Um, but, and I think that this song is really kind of about that, kind of in trying to attract somebody just to grift them. Um, Apparently, Wynn Butler had an idea for this song, wrote it in a day, and recorded it the next. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily one that you're going to put on in a mixtape, um, but it is something that if you're listening to the record as a whole, um, it fits right in there. Um, it's not one of my highlight tracks. It just kind of like washes by me really quick, drops some ideas in there, and then we're on to the next. Uh, Steven, what do you think of Neon Bible? I will absolutely agree with you that uh, Arcade Fire is an album band, in my opinion. Sure, they have good singles, but if you want to truly appreciate this band, you will listen to the albums. You should say that with any band, probably, but really with them. And in the case of this band, yes, this song, uh, it's like Pedro the Lion subdued bullshit that I don't really want to listen to. Uh, It's not bad, but sandwiched in between the last song with the forward momentum and the next song that gets really loud. And uh, in general, Arcade Fire can get really loud. I'm not talking loud like uh, Mastodon. I'm just saying that, like, you know, they get maximalist. This is, this is a, uh, that kind of band that gets very loud all the time with all your woes and your swelling strings. You can give them a little song like this. So it's all right. I like the next song a lot better, though. But I think the next song benefits from being after this song. Yeah, it sets a mood. Eric. Yeah, they can't always be ball to the wall on this album, so you need you need uh, some uh, reprieve. Um, and this song is very pretty. <clears throat> I like what it's about, like you said, Mark. Um, when things get a little too jangly or a little too Americana, when my indie rock is just not it's not necessarily my my jam. Uh, just plucking a plucking plucking the 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 bluegrass inspired uh, Americana isn't really for me. Not that this is totally that. It still has atmosphere, especially when they're both singing at the same time um, when Regine comes in. Um, uh, but it works out, like Steve said. I can't add to that. It, it, it fills in that part of the album. It adds to the experience. And on to the next. Let's just go to the next song. Let's just go to the next song and fucking get talk about some good shit. All right. And that song is called Intervention. Fucking church organs. Yeah, yeah. We're stupid, <laughs> these church organs. Audacious is what I would call these church organs. <laughs> Kings taken back, but 
Well, these guys think they're getting away with you. The useless see the sun When they say they're cutting off the phone They tell me you're not home No place to hide You were fighting as a soldier on the side You're still a soldier in your mind Still nothing's on the line It's money that we need As if we're only mouths to feed I know no matter what you say There's some debts you'll never pay Working for the church while your family dies You take what they give you and you keep it inside Every spark of friendship and love will die without a home Hear the soldier groan, glad it alone I can taste the fear So that was Intervention. Uh, it- Fire and Brimstone, Andrew Lloyd Webber Church Organs is how this song starts. Um, it's uh, bombastic. They definitely got that church feel to it uh, and their money's worth by buying that recording studio or converting it into a recording studio, rather. Um, some great vocal performances from Wynn Butler on here. Um, just very earnest. I tell you, like, this song does it for me. This song does it for me. I think this is also one of their classic songs. I can taste the fear, lift me up and take me out of here. Don't want to fight, don't want to die, just want to hear you cry. Um, just the one thing about like the denseness of this record that Stephen refers to is that it is very... I think this is um, Arcade Fire at its darkest. Just fucking cynical and angry and not feeling optimistic about things. Uh, a lot of their records are very about, let's try to connect and be together. Um, and uh, this one is though, just like, God damn, look at how the state of things are. Um, this is horrible. And, you know, for 2007, um, I, you'll hear a little bit later, but it's also pretty political about just kind of the far right, religious conservatism that was really starting to pop around, um, you know, George W. Bush's end of his, uh, um, tenure before Obama came in. Um, and it just, it kind of takes along some of the lines of what was going on with neon Bible, the song and bringing that more towards about people who, um, just throw themselves at the mercy of the church and just, have their personalities kind of based on that um, and almost making it sound like it was a soldier um, fighting for the church or something. I don't, I don't really get this, the sense of like it being a, like, you know, an actual soldier, but I think they're like a Christian soldier, that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, intervention, great song has dynamics. It has some great backup vocals from Regine, a little call and response action. Um, Eric, uh, or is it Steve? I think it's Steve. Steve, intervention. I think it was actually Eric. All right, Eric, but, um, intervention. 
Uh, yeah, I, lyrically, I think you're spot on. And yes, there is a thing. If you've, uh, if you've met anyone that's been in certain factions of the Christian church, there is this idea of being a soldier for Christ. And that, that idea did come up when I was reading the lyrics of this. And it's one of the more disgusting, uh, Christian attitudes, in my opinion. Um, but beyond all that, and I think this is very political, this song, and I think you were spot on Mark. But there's there's this element that comes up a few times in the song that I really connected with, and it was the the kind of idea of male stoicism, um, where uh, you just kind of the, the idea that um, you know in these cultures your family's suffering, but you're you know uh, you're you're not going to feel, you're not going to show emotion, uh, and you're just going to kind of let it happen because that what that's what it means to be a good man. And, um, uh, that's a horrible thing, but it's a real thing. And, um, that, that part I really thought was, was, was pretty deep. Um, and, um, yeah, the, the music takes you on a journey. Well, to that, Eric, before you move on to music to, to that, when I learned that he was grew up in Truckee, that makes perfect sense to me. Cause you're gonna need a lot of that when you grow up in somewhere like Truckee. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, this, this, this song is heavy and, but also is fun. And catchy, and his vocal delivery and regimes—it's like this will get this will get stuck in this earworm. It'll get stuck in your your brain, no doubt about it. Stephen, yeah, like uh, like I said, the last track gets away with being so subdued because the giant fucking organs that's open this track up. But they're just get out of here when you hear those organs. Um, but again, to the Bruce Springsteenness of it all, this track really has some of the. Like when he says, uh, you know, working, what is it? Uh, uh, working for something while somebody dies. I can't remember exactly what he says, but he has like a Bruce Springsteen warble to his voice. And so that's one thing that I'm digging on this track. But also the other artists that really clicked with me today, actually, when I was doing my final note taking, Roy Orbison. I hear a lot of Roy Orbison in uh, this album. And on this, this Roy Orbison. Uh, used to use a lot of like vocal warbles in his romantic singing, but also like the the swelling and the strings of Arcade Fire on this record have kind of like a California vibe to them. And there's a lot of like I've listened to Roy Orbison since I was a kid, and I was like, oh my god, Arcade Fire has a lot of Roy Orbison going on, and you can hear it on this track. It's awesome. Um, I found a quote from Rolling Stone, and I think it sums it up well. Uh, the, the dichotomy of the Arcade Fire on this record. And that's that. Uh, this is a direct quote. This album is full of uh, doom-mongering but joyously uplifting music. There are soaring string arrangements, beautiful backing vocal harmonies, harps and French horns, great willing choruses, and perhaps more surprisingly, thwacking propulsive rhythms. It's hard to think of another album that rocks in such an epic manner without sounding completely ridiculous. The effect is kind of a triumphant gloom. And I, I definitely think so. Like the, the music on this song with the lyrics that are kind of like, I don't want to go to war. I don't want to die. It kind of, it takes a lot of a creative 40 chess to make both of it work. And they, they're good at that. So good track. Just with the, on the string arrangement, uh, Owen Pallet does a lot of the string arrangements on this. And, um, uh, I think he and uh, Will Butler did the score for the film Her, um, 
So, which is a solid, solid score and good movie. Yeah, Eric, or Mark started bringing up that earlier, and then I cut him off somehow. Um, you know, I never watched that movie. It's not bad. I've only seen it once. Um, I don't know. It was fine. Um, it's very indie. It's very indie, and it's definitely no surprise that Arcade Fire uh, talking about how having a relationship with technology versus having a relationship with a human being. So it's well, apropos. We can do that now. We're we're on the way. So. Mark just doesn't like a movie that's disparaging, uh, I, I, you know, AI relationships. Like, my you know, my uh, affair with Siri, yeah. <laughs> it's digging into his wrong AI characters. So. <laughs> I know, man. Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. You think the lake house boat is going to by itself? Um, so that is intervention. Um Let's hear a little bit of Black Wave Bad Vibrations. So happens we have sex in the waterbed. So this song actually has like two different sections. First, you get Regine doing this kind of like poppy thing. And then I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. So that was kind of a, a mash of two different songs, if you ask me, between Black Wave, Bad Vibrations, uh, and yes, that is a reference to uh, the Beach Boys' Good Vibrations. Um, not quite sure if I get good vibrations from this song. It's not bad. Um, it, again, really uh, hits home the ocean and sea motif that they're doing. That's bright. Has Brian Wilson ever performed live with them? Because I could totally see that happen. Yeah, no, he hasn't. I mean, they've performed live with Springsteen, Bowie, um, but not, not, I don't, I mean, it makes sense though, because, uh, you know, when you hear that song back, you, you can hear a little bit of what, it's like a slowed down version of Good Vibrations, um, which that's, one of the Beach Boys' best songs, if you ask me. Always remember Vanilla Sky. Um, fucking, out of all the things you can tie the Beach Boys back to, you find Tom Cruise. That's always, crazy. man. He's always on my mind, just like Willie Nelson said. Um, but, yeah, this song, um, let's see here. What do I got? What do we got? It's about trying to escape one's past to form a new identity create a new future, that whole thing, that whole, like, you know, tale as old as time. 
Um, it's not bad. I just, I, it's a little too sparkly at the beginning with Regine singing. Um, I, I don't mind her voice. I think she's got a good voice, very Bjork like sometimes. Um, but it's when, uh, when Butler comes and does his doom and gloom that actually makes my ears perk up. Uh, Steven, what do you think of this one? It's funny you say that because I actually think that she's a secret sauce in the band. But she's and great. Yeah, she, no, I'm, I hopefully that didn't come off as me thinking that she was. No, the but I, no, yeah. no, no, no. I just the songs where she takes center stage. I actually my ears perk up and I like it when they harmonize yes, together yes. a lot. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Good. I, that one song on uh, Suburbs Sprawl 2, Magnifique. I love that fucking song. And she's running the show and she's phenomenal. She, I, I think in, it's not so much her voice. I think it was more of like kind of the sparkly, like it just seems like a Japanese um, shoe, shoe uh, commercial no, or I, something. I'll take, no, I'll take, you, I'll take you up on that because I actually, my notes, I specifically wrote like the start of this song reminds me of like Pretty Girls Make Graves or Lady Tron. And I was like, shit, God damn it. No, not just because it's female fronted acts. It's because that's just like how the, the song starts like mid aughts forward momentum. You nailed it with uh, the lady Tron. That's that's yeah, perfect. Keyboard, keyboard based indie rock. I was like, that's how the song starts, but it's not bad. But then yes, when it turns into the wind Butler gloomathon, I'm like, Oh, this is great. Like it's just, and it starts singing about yeah, the waves coming over you. And it's just awesome. Um, the second half of this track is great. It's a very, I don't know, it's ominous. It's awesome. Um, it's bold. It's bold to have that. It starts, it's kind of cool though. It starts with the light and the poppiness, and then it becomes like dread and darkness. And that's, that's kind of what Arcade Fire pulls off, the, the duality of those two things. So it's a good track. I dig it. I would be okay with the whole album of the first half though. And you know, one could say they kind of do that. They kind of become more upbeat and poppy in some of the albums that they get, uh, are, you know, Grammys for. So yeah, maybe this is the future, future vision of some of that shit. The first half of this track, the sound is not asleep. It's moving under my feet. That sounds pretty goddamn ominous. If you ask me, um, Eric, what do you think of this one? Black yeah, wave. I- and I'm with Steve. Um, the regime usually gets like one song per album, unless it's a double album, she might get a few more. And I always think her songs are standout tracks on the albums. Like, um, she's, uh, Haiti. She, it's great. Uh, uh, and, and in interviews, like, especially like when reflector was coming out, when Butler says, yeah, regime just like loves new wave music. Um, she loves to dance. So like, I just try to make, you know, we try to make a whole album around that. And, and so you can really see that she does have like Lady Tron or even like Debbie Harry kind of uh, moments in her vocals. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I really like her part of this song. Um, I mean, shoot, uh, go to the last album. We like her song with Peter Gabriel might be my favorite song of last year. Like that song is, is fucking phenomenal. Um, and that's her, that's her track. Uh, but anyways, this one, like her bits really good. Um, I do like the synthy. Of course, I love the synthy washed out stuff. And then um, this is definitely like a mid, like a centerpiece song. Um, at some points, this song does remind you it's a theme. It's a thematic project. Um, if this was a stage show, um, this is like a moment in the middle where uh, as things turn over to side B, um, 
and they're uh, at some point, uh, yeah, wind takes over and really catchy uh, talking about eating in the ghetto on a hundred dollar plate. Um, but more ocean imagery, more self-reflection imagery. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a, a lot of times when there's a theme album, like some of the more theatrical songs, which is like the more like uh, playsetter songs like this, maybe aren't uh, catchy or don't stand out in their own right. But I think this absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that I, I was, this was the one track that I was thinking that you two would be like, eh. but it's really nice to hear um, your uh, perspective on regime. I, I thought that that would be something that you thought would be a little too cutesy, but she really compliments this band and she does bring a ray of sunshine. No, oh, I could I could go for a whole album of her being the lead vocalist. It just uh, if you go through their discography, I, I whenever she is involved more uh, vocally, I think those tracks actually stand out. And you're right about Sprawl too, Mark. That that song that song is is unbelievable. Incredible. It's yeah, so right. good. And when she plays that live, she really puts everything into it. She starts like doing the little, like spinning in the, like she's doing a gymnastics routine for crying out loud. It's great. Well, this, this whole band, like, you know, Wynn Butler is one thing, but from what I've read, you know, like the Montreal, uh, how do, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I say this thing I didn't expect to say? Like the, the diversity she brings to the band and just the, like Montreal, like has a you know, French Haitian, right? Like born yeah. and raised in Montreal, possibly. Yes. You don't like that blend of her. You don't, you know, Arcade Fire doesn't work without her in the band. So she's something yeah. special. And she's very talented. I mean, you throw an instrument at her, she's going to play it. Um, so, uh, I, you know, like you said, she is the secret sauce because she can basically do it all. Um, she's a one man band, if you ask me. Uh, so let's hear a little bit of our next track, which is Ocean of Noise. of noise um first glance this could be kind of like an also ran meaning that yeah it's the track on this record that fits in really well um in terms of future visions i feel like this record this song could actually fit pretty well on the suburbs 
um, just in terms of the the sound. Now, lyrically, it still has that kind of despair feeling to it that there's just so much that we have to filter and figure out because there's just all of this interference around us that is just trying to capture our attentions at all times. Um, and it's really hard to focus on what's important. It's really hard to focus on who you are and your identity um, because you really just have to deal with an ocean of noise, an ocean of violence. Um, but the fact at the end um, where he's not giving up, he says, I'm going to work it out because time won't work it out. I'm going to work it on- out. Um, he said in a article um, in an interview that his parents live near the ocean Uh, they've gone there quite a bit of time and he was saying that there was one time in uh, during the 4th of July that they went out there on a boat Um, it was like one of those little motor boats and the fog started rolling in Uh, we stopped and all of a sudden we were surrounded by fog we had no idea where we were and there was a foghorn it's like you're never less in control of your own life than when you're in the ocean underneath a big wave and there's fog all around you you can see that you're just a passenger in a weird sense things are out of your control it was just that kind of feeling that i wanted to express and i think that they do that very well um and uh just like we've found out in the news the ocean is uh unforgiving and if you don't have the right equipment um it's not going to work out so ocean of noise eric what's your what's your take on this one so leading up to summer, I've started building a playlist, um, just songs that are kind of sun drenched, but still dark that have like twangy, like reverby, almost like Angelo Battle, Battle guitars, uh, like that Portlandia sketch with Danzig on the beach, uh, any song that would fit into that mood, uh, a tiki goth type. I was really hoping he was going to say starting this summer, I started building a boat. No, no. It's like a tiki goth <laughs> feel. But anyways, this song, I pulled it right. I added that to the playlist. I think it, I think it fits. It's, it's, it's got that, it's got that guitar strumming, like a Jan and Dean almost guitar strumming. Uh, you've still got the timpani waves rolling in the background. Um, and, uh, but still, yeah, still very dark. Mark your spot on the lyrics. Um, there is some interesting stuff there about when you, get into a relationship to distract you from the anxieties of the world. That's not a great place to start, but yes, he does end brightly that he's going to try to make it work. Um, so I think thematically it's just a, it just fits perfectly in what this album's about. I do like that kind of sun drenched, but still dark sound. Um, I think this fits in maybe Steve's Roy Orbison reference. Um, and, uh, this maybe not the most catchy song on the album, but I like I like the feel. I like the feel of this track. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, again, it does fit with my Roy Orbison reference. And when I when I made the Roy Orbison connection, I almost fell over because I, I can just hear it and I can't unhear it now. And you know, Roy O is somebody as a kid I listened to because of my mom, but also he had you know he was a, a weird introduction to Bruce Springsteen and Tom Waits for me. It all it all fits together. It's all connected. You can definitely get the Roy Orbison vibe on this track. But, I mean, you can also get, uh, I mean, I'm assuming they were Black Harper Session fans. I definitely hear some Immortal Tropica going on in this track. 
that's just the genre more, I guess, for this track. Like, I, I, I dig a good beach. I don't know, samba. Is that is that the right word uh, for this? Is it a samba? I'm not sure. But Nova? Turn on, something like that. Yeah, turn on the lights off. That you can listen to this at the beach as the water, well, as the black wave crests, and you just kind of sit there in the darkness with maybe a, a campfire or the beach fire smoldering. Uh, this is a good track for that. Um, Tim Tim Kingsbury, the bass player. The bass the bass line in this track holds it all together for me. Uh, I really really like this song and. I don't know why I didn't pay attention to this record more, but I sure did because, well, as part of the pod, like a whole uh, group, I'm supposed to actually listen to the records we talk about. I, this song, I was like, holy shit, this song has been here this whole time. I had no idea. I, I really dig this track. It's a sleeper. It's a sleeper. It's a good one. I mean, if it had a little bit of like that washboard kind of like, um, that black heart procession uses on Immortal Tropico. Uh, God, what, what's that fucking song that I'm thinking of? Anyhow, I, I see the connection that you're trying to make. It just a little bit more washboard and we're there. It needs some steel drums, but there are, I do believe there are some mariachi horns towards the ends. Maybe you, and maybe a little more giddy ups. Um, so let's hear what is going on in the well in the lighthouse or as Josh Homie would call them hurrahs <laughs> So we were talking about we were talking about Bruce Springsteen earlier. This is a prime example of the Springsteenian influence uh, on this band. Um, if you were to add a saxophone and maybe some loud guitars on this track, the driving, rocking action, and in, in the tenderness of the lyrics, maybe it's a total Springsteen song. I could, I could like swap out swap out some of the twee uh, multi instrumentation for guitars and saxophones. And you find this on Born the Run. Um, the quiet, loud dynamics and the rising action during that If I Seem Lost rock out part of the song. This is a total Bruce Springsteen song. And I can see why Bruce said, oh, I'll go on stage with these guys. This is a great track. That's what I got to say. It is a really great track. Um, and I don't necessarily immediately go to the Springsteen, but I mean, I, it's so propulsive. How could you not? And you're right. You throw uh, a sax solo on here and with the big man and you're cooking with gas. It's also their, their use of reverb and jangly vocals. Like I didn't realize yeah. it until I, I was looking for it, but they do that a lot. They have that echoey effect that you hear on some of the best, uh, Springsteen songs. Yes. Um, 
which I also found in my uh, research that it's a loose retelling of a French folktale called The Fox and the Wolf. It's about it's a fable. It's about a fox who descends a well in a water pail, thinking the reflection at the bottom to be cheese. Then is unable to climb out. The fox ultimately secures his escape by luring a wolf to come down the well in a counterbalanced pail, which raises the bucket with the fox in it while entrapping the wolf at the bottom of the well instead. You know, okay, sure. Uh, I guess this was even found in the lyrics section of the Neon Bible website. So it's not like they were making any sort of indication that this was not uh, inspired by that. A lot of, um, that's a lot of physics. It's a lot of physics for a fable, but yes, I, th- <laughs> I think you're right. It's the whole like puzzle of how do you, you know, cross the river with like a, a chicken, a fox and, you know, a bale of hay or something like that. Uh, or maybe it was a cow. I think it's a cow. You can't leave like one on the other side of the island with the same time, you know, that whole thing. Sure, sure. I'm sure that you'll have to do that at some group like uh, work meeting thing. Um, but it definitely sounds like someone is sitting and, uh, a jail cell and not, uh, regretting the crime that they did. Um, do kind of like this little story that's being said here. Uh, you're hearing some dialogue. Uh, the lions and the lambs ain't sleeping yet. Uh, definitely ends in a way that, um, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's, it goes through some changes here. Um, good song, great, great lyrics. Um, Eric, what's your what's your thoughts? Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, musically very cool. Um, soaring synths, a lot of changes. Even at the end, it ends in this like slowed down time waltz, but it still all blends very nicely. Uh, very pretty at the end. Um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, lyrically, they, they, they tell that fable and somehow the well also becomes a, a metaphor for prison um, and coming out of it, a changed man. Um, uh, yeah, uh, just a lot. There's a lot of layers to the lyrics and uh, you say what you will about Win Butler. Um, he knows how to stick to a theme, reflections, water and, uh, you know, Tell a story that repeat listenings, you'll get something different out of what he's saying. And I do appreciate that. Um, yeah. Cool song. Excellent. Well, let's go on to the next one, which is titled Antichrist Television Blues. Antichrist Television Blues. This is in parentheses because this song was originally titled Joe Simpson. Um, Joe Simpson is the father of Ashley and uh, Jessica Simpson. 
um, a man who decided not to be a father to these people and became their manager. Uh, you hear it, dear God, I'm a good Christian man. I in your glory, I know you understand that you got to work hard and you got to get paid. My girl's 13, but she don't act her age. Um, all right, he's no he's no Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus and uh, his wife made sure that Miley Cyrus was treated right. Yeah, and you know Miley Cyrus is actually you know I sign off. I think she's got a good set of pipes on her. Um, but I mean, wait, 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 Billy Ray Cyrus blamed her bad behavior on be- him being in a David Lynch movie and introducing the devil into their lives. So I just just calm down on your phrases. <laughs> that's that's, that's what I call. How do you know that's not true? How do you know that's not true, Eric? He, he was making sure that uh, the, yes, the money was going to keep rolling in. I mean, when you when you blame things on David Lynch, it's to get out of jail free cards. Like, whoop, nope, you know, he's right, right, David Lynch. What are you gonna do? Like, you know, every, everybody wins, and David Lynch is probably like, ah, yes. Well, the weather's gonna be good today, and uh, flowers. But I do like this song. Uh, it's good. It. Um, you got someone who's uh, working against their whole good Christian values in order to monetize their beautiful daughter. Uh, one lyric in particular that is kind of cringy, uh, as we were talking earlier about his predilections, uh, was uh, want to hold a mirror up to the world so they can see themselves inside my little girl. Huh. Okay. Mm. Um, and I like at the very end, though, there is this realization like, oh, tell me, Lord, am I the Antichrist? Because he's having a conversation with God. He keeps asking, like, um, I don't really want to be a working man, but I'm a good Christian man. And look look, look who I can potentially use um, in order to make my living. Um, so it's kind of interesting that the uh, this particular protagonist or antagonist kind of makes that realization, like, shit, what am I doing? Um uh, musically, it sounds like it'd be on, uh, if you strip away some of the flourishes, it could be on uh, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. But that's Antichrist Television Blues. Uh, Eric, what do you got for me? Uh, yeah, Bruce, the boss, was on my notes as well. Um, and I, I, there are flourishes, but less so than most songs on here. I think it purposely is trying to give it that like 50s guitar jang- jangle and uh, maybe sounding like it's coming out of a Mel's Diner uh, uh, jukebox. Um, the uh, yeah, the lyrical content is very interesting. Um, I think he's talking about yeah, he's talking about Joe Simpson, but it's a a bigger issue in these you know when uh, parents exploit their children, um, and and it, you know it it absolutely does happen, and um, you know I think that does also fit into the theme of the record as well, because in this case, this parent is, is self-reflecting or, or praying on it and, and coming to the realization uh, that they're, they're, they're a diarrhea person. So um, yeah, I, uh, you know, the, the jangle of the song works because it is a pastiche um, and uh, almost as like a plastic jangle. Um, but I, I see what your point, Mark, too. Yeah, if it was an acoustic guitar, this would be on Nebraska. I, I totally could see that. Um, so well done. But yeah, this is a this is an interesting track. Probably the fits the least in into the album, but still works thematically. Yeah, you know, it's it's got, like Eric said, it's got a little bit of Americana. 
It's got a little bit of rockabilly, but again, it goes back to I really hear the Roy Orbison in it all. And until today, like I, Roy Orbison and Arcade Fire did not even cross my mind. But on my most recent listen, like the reverb and the uh, and the kind of swing swing beat to the drumming, it's this is a total throwback to you know old style rock and roll. And that might have something to do with the fact that my son and I watched Back to the Future today at uh, two a.m. But it's a good song. Um, yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, Arcade Fire, when I, when I used to think of this album, I, think I, I would think about how dense the production is. But then you've got some of these tracks that are way stripped back more than anything they, they did before. This is just good old-fashioned rock and roll. It's good. There you go. Can't beat good old-fashioned rock and roll. You can't beat the beat. Um, can't beat it. So let's take a gander out of our windows and see what windowsill is all about. So windowsill, uh, this song is one of my favorite uh, arcade fire songs as well. Um, it's about just watching everything around you, just losing control. Um, and this is probably one of their most political al- uh, songs, if you ask me. Um, it's don't want to hear the noises on TV. Don't want the salesman coming after me. Everything is trying. Everyone is trying to sell you something. Um, don't want to fight in a holy war. Don't want the salesman knocking at my door. I don't want to live in America no more. Um, and that last song that we listened to, one there was seemingly also a 9-11 reference that we kind of glazed over because the planes keep crashing always two by two. I don't want to work in a building downtown. I, I don't want to see the planes hit the ground. And now we get this. Um, I know this was in 2007, um, but uh, still the Iraq war was happening and just kind of being inundated and the whole thing with uh, salesmen knocking out the door, got to keep that economy humming uh, while people are dying. Uh, Then we talk about the commercialism of MTV, what have you done to me, save my soul, set me free. 
Um, I mean, shit. I think Steve and I, I think uh, during our high school years, that's all we ever did was watch MTV. We were just inundated. And then now MTV then slowly went away from actually being a showcase for artistic expression and became just a reality TV uh, hub where we're seeing teenage moms and uh, uh, the ridiculousness show, um, which is essentially just a compilation of YouTube broadcasted through the airwaves. Um, why did I take this pill? Uh, you know, cause we're all just trying to uh, numb ourselves to all of the constant barrage of information, just, you know, inundating us at all times. And this is even like pre, I mean, the iPhone was just released in 2007, the very first one. So um, this is kind of a bellwether of what, I mean, whether it be smartphones, but we just are now have access to way too much information at all times. And we're always accessible even when we don't really want to be. And it's kind of an old man. It's kind of a uh, Gran Torino kind of thing. I don't want to see it at my windowsill um, because you're just trying to keep all of this at bay um, and trying to have a little bit of peace. Um, But unfortunately it's getting harder and harder to do so. Windowsill. Great track. Has a lot to say. Uh, Steven, sorry that I wasn't able to load the sample in real time. It's kind of a bummer. I don't know what's going oh, on I here. Kept, I kept my notes. You know, We didn't get the samples until this episode uh, in real time. But you know, th- this one has, again, has big rise in action. It's got the Western Plains propulsion. But the lyrics, yeah, this is, again, where I said that Hey, learning this guy's from Truckee, I like that. Because, like, look, I know that, uh, I know Canada's got their problems. I'm sure they do. Who doesn't? But the American uh, situation has been aggression since, like, what, the Bay of Pigs? We're always at, like, a war or we're about to go to war. And the lyrics, you know, I don't want to give them my name and address. I don't want to, you know, fight in a holy war. Especially. In the uh, the late the late aughts, it hits home. Uh, you know that was uh, there. There was a time there where we were like, "Oh shit, is there going to be a draft?" In in the late aughts, you know, I, I, I think again, this goes back to the Springsteenian aspect of it all. That was almost uh, you know Vietnam Part Two. There wasn't a draft, but shit, could there be? But no, unfortunately, there was enough people that were lost. They just signed up. Anyhow, knowing this guy's from Truckee makes this song hit harder for me. Is a good song, Eric. Yeah, uh, I think you 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 hit all the lyrical points of this song. Um, musically, one band we didn't mention that paired the that predated Arcade Fire in pairing the Jingle Jangle of folky rock with oh, like massive production was bright eyes. Oh yeah. And this song start. Yeah. This song starts like a bright eyes song and bright eyes is a band that I kind of like liked. I had an on and off relationship with them. Um, and there are still a few songs that I do enjoy by them. Um, and, uh, and I, this song starts like a bright eyes song. I just, that's, that's in my notes. Um, but I th- it's it's a very heavy song and and uh, 
uh, not one of my top tr tracks on here, but uh, a, a an achievement nonetheless. And not a lot of bells, bells and whistles in this one. So yeah, I, I don't know what uh you know, as the metal guy in the podcast. Even though we all love metal, I used to fucking love Bright Eyes. So take t take whatever you will from that. I hear it. Yeah, I can hear it. Uh. I do have a little bit of a blind spot with uh, Bright Eyes, but I did remember buying the record that he released simultaneously. One was like an electronic record, and the other one was just a straight acoustic record. Um, digital Ash, the titles the digital, of them. digital Ash, and Digital Learn. That's it. Was the electronic one? What was the other one? Uh, well, anyways, what was the other band that was better than Bright Eyes in the same label? Um, Cursive. Cursive was better. Saddle, Saddle Creek? That was Saddle Creek, yeah. Cursive. Um, the, the Ugly Organ. The Ugly Organ was a good album. That's right. All right. So that was Windowsill. Let's hear a little bit of that as we fade into the next track, which is No Cars Go. cars go so i do remember this one from their self-titled ep uh they definitely spruced it up uh quite a bit um they even i think might have even made it a little bit faster um so this is kind of the uh glass of water in the desert on this record if you're looking for a little bit of we're going to get through this together. We're just going to find a place where we can find our peace together. There is a place for that for us somewhere where no cars go. Um, and women and children, let's go. Um, little babies, let's go. Old folks, let's go. No one's getting left behind here. Um, now, I do enjoy the, the message of here. And I do understand the need for it to be on here um, because everything has been just like we're losing control. Everything is a wasteland, very dystopian uh, themes. But then this one comes out and says, don't give up. Uh, it's considered a classic Arcade Fire song. Uh, it's probably one of the most popular uh, songs on the record. Um, but it's not necessarily my go-to when I think of um, Arcade Fire, 
but it is a really great song to hear live. Um, and the band puts it all into it, and uh, you even get some accordion work from Regine on here. No cars go. Um, Eric, are you jumping in the car, or are you telling no cars, no go? I can't help myself, man. I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in. This song is ear candy. It is absolutely ear candy. And um, if you compare it to the original version, um, I do like this version better. Um, it, you know, I like it with the big orchestra. I mean, the whole song opens with the pit orchestra just tuning up almost as they get into it. Um, and yeah, it's a weird, like thematically, it's very weird. Um, it, I, what I've read about it is it's, a, it's about the, those, those last moments of consciousness before you fall asleep. And you know, you're finally going to get some peace for the day. And it's just like a, almost a truly freeing moment. You've given yourself uh, up to sleep and um, which doesn't fit the music at all. Cause it's very fast, very uplifting. This is, this is like jogging around the neighborhood song, not necessarily a meditation song, but it is about that, um, that, that freedom, that freedom piece is there. And I do love it when he's calling for the little children and the old folks to join him. I, I think that's, that's rather rousing. I like it. Um, I mean, yeah, this is truly a moment of, uh, they obviously felt very comfortable with the song. They probably played it live for years before it ended up on this album. It, it's like a well-worn coat. They're, they're very comfortable with this track. And so they played it, uh, the best they could. And then they added a bunch of bells and whistles and it's pure ear candy. It's, it's a fun, it's a fun penultimate track too. Uh, track on this album because it, it 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 gets you to a high high before the last song on here. So uh, I like it. Can't help it. Even though it's probably one of their more basic songs, I'm sure there's an a episode of the OC where Seth Cohen is chasing Summer <laughs> through the airport and this song is playing. I'm positive of that. But you know, listen. The fact that you know it. the characters' names, you just outed yourself as an OC I fan. I know, but I, got, I know who you're married Brad, to. I got cracks in my armor. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, and maybe this, this is in there somewhere. Yeah. And even though you mentioned all that stuff where it's predictable, I mean, sometimes, you know, if you, a good hamburger is a good hamburger. That's the closest thing I can say for that. Steve, one time you described a good pop album as unlimited fries at red Robin. And I, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) I think that's solid. No, but in in this track, I mean, this this is like an ultimate this is like an ultimate arcade fire song. It's got shimmering guitars that kind of remind me of Cave In, but I know they I mean they might have been listening to Cave In, but I'm not I'm yeah, that's that's right here. I don't know they hear the horns, the strings, the haze. I like how really in this one they just say, Hey uh you know, the harmonies of Wynn and uh you know, his wife, what's her name again? Regine. Regine. Think right of here. like Regina, but it's yeah. French. You know, in the lyrics of getting back to nature or whatever, it's like all the fucking, that's their whole point. It's a super romantic song in that way. Um, this is like a prototypical Arcade Fire song, but it's really good. And I like the part where they shout, women and children, go. Old folks, let's go. Babies needing cribs, let's go. I dig all that. Um, between the click of the light and the start of the dream. That's a fun lyric. What's that mean? It's yeah, what I was saying. It's like, this is your yeah. last moment before subconscious takes over your last moments of consciousness. It's that freedom of giving yourself to sleep. And 
uh, get those babies in those cribs. Let's all go together to Dreamland. It's uh, and, like, and you know if little, you're if you're feeling Nemo shit, yeah, it's great. If you're feeling a little cynical about this, I mean, if you're feeling like this is too much Arcade Fire 101, by the time the woe woes come at the end and you still didn't get you, I mean, come on, quit being an asshole. Just give into it. Uh, it's good. Um, yeah, I really, I really dig this song. And I, and I think it's funny. This could be a great album closer, but it gets gets trumped by the next song. Uh, we we could do a whole we could do a whole sub podcast about albums that have two great closers. I think this is this is one of them. This could be the album closer, but yeah, they 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 continue to the next track. And uh, that next track is called "My Body Is a Cage." Damn, I could listen to this whole song right now, but uh, for the interest of time, we're not going to do that. Um, this song is powerful. It's intense. Um, it has an incredible performance from Wynn. Um, the organ work in the back is ominous. Uh, then when the drums kick in a little bit later in the song, you hear a little bit of the choir in the back there. Uh, it just it's goosebumps. Uh, it's an R.L. Stein book, if you ask me. Um, it is so fucking good. Um, it's been covered by Peter Gabriel um, for the John Carter trailer, <laughs> which doesn't quite seem to fit a guy jumping around um, on Mars. But man. Um, Barsoom! <laughs> um. I love this song. Uh, there, someone in, perfectly mashed it up to the uh, last gunfight in the Sir, uh, Enya, Oh my God, Sergio Leone, uh, "Once Upon a Time in the West" with Charles Bronson and uh, fuck, who's the other guy? Uh, Help me Henry out here. Fonda. Is that Peter, Peter Fonda? Fonda? Henry yeah, Fonda. Fonda. No, no, what's the older one? Peter yeah. Henry Rollins. Peter uh, Henry Fonda was the one that yeah it was Henry Fonda was the dad Peter Fonda was the son. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Henry. 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, no. And, and Harmonica Man. Oh, man, that scene. So fucking good. Perfectly that done. Um, but yeah, this song is like a soulful ballad, and then also like it's just so good. Um, it's kind of about you know you can see that this weird anxiety, and I feel that someone who kind of is more introverted and has a harder time sometimes just talking to people. Or uh, I think I've gotten past that as I've gotten older, but man, in my high school days, my college days, early on, I just didn't have the confidence to stand in front of people and just talk and be myself because it just really felt like, even though my mind was like, just do it, I just had a physical reaction to it. And so the whole title of this, My Body is a Cage, I can kind of relate to that. Um but it's great. I mean, I, I love this song so much and it what a hell of a way to close out the album. Uh, but it is kind of different in the sense of like its placement. Cause I do like what the, um, the message about no cars go even after just a sea of, you know, just uneasiness. And then we're like, well, actually uh, we've got one more for you. That's going to give you nightmares. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I I don't know. I don't set my body free, set my spirit free. Um at least it ends with a little bit of like we're going to get through this. I don't know. It's kind of like their version of hurt if you ask me. Uh, Eric, my body's a cage. Or did I call on you first on the last one? I don't it's, know. It's 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 Steven's turn. All right, Steven. Bring you us home. Let's go with it. It's not going to kill anybody. It's true. Um, yeah, but no, I, like I said, the, the last track is so good. I'm like, oh, can this, the, this this track be the closer too? Yes, you can have two songs that could be two closers. But in this, in this case, I mean, I like the fact they stuck, stuck with this as the closer because this song is heavy. It's got heavy lyrics. It's got that heavy organ. And when people think of Arcade Fire, uh, cliche-wise, they might think of that up, upbeat like, oh, whoa, whoa, yeah, going down, doing things with my lantern type music. <laughs> this song, this song ain't that. This song is very much like sparse. It makes you think about, you know, what's he saying? What can, what, what's all mean, man? And um, yeah, no, I like to your point the the, bot, the lyrics my body is a cage it's, it's it's not it's not incredibly deep but it's good i mean i i i don't know exactly what he's singing about here but the idea of having trouble expressing yourself and being tied up in knots just trying to speak fucking english i can relate to that like i fucking went to like at my job i have no problem talking to uh people that are not my family all the time. But then when I try to communicate a fucking coherent thought to maybe my mother or my wife, I can fall over sometimes. I totally get that with this song. Was he going for that? I don't know, but that's what I get from it. I, I love it for that. I, I think it's great for that. And then when you dump on, yes, Peter Gabriel covered this and the uh, trailer for John Carter, the criminally underrated film that everyone should see that uh, Disney should have just made 10 more of. I, I love the, like, to me, 
like that trailer, I was like, holy shit, what song is that? That's an Arcade Fire song? That's great. Oh, Peter Gabriel, that guy? And I kind of didn't think of that for years. And then when this whole podcast became super Peter Gabriel fans, I was like, oh, that makes this song even better to me. So I love the way this, this album closes. It's, it's great. Uh, Eric, I'm sure you agree. Yeah, no, totally. And um, like you said, uh, while uh, the end of No, uh, no Cars Go uh you know could be a great ending the it did not necessarily have the emotional weight that this song does and that's that that that's satisfying that's uh i mean on on this track they bring back like i said earlier they have the audacity to just like slam on a church organ yeah they bring that back for this track they're like oh well fuck we yeah did we buy a church oh shit we better bring that church organ yeah. back in right yeah. you know that's what they did on this track i love it yeah Yes, yes. Big, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. And Oh, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> From Beauty and the Beast. You got to love it. Um, yeah. Someone on the internet, I have a question for you, Eric. Um, someone said that this is a song that you can fight, fuck, or sob to. Um, oh, have you done yeah. any of those three things to this song? Uh, Two out of three? <laughs> All three at the same yeah. time. Come on. The, yeah. I'll let you be the guest. Yeah. Yeah. When one didn't work out, the other two ended up happening. So <laughs> what's funny is Take that you pick. started the whole evening. The whole evening started with you saying, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. And then, oh, well, yeah. someone didn't, that was funny. There you go. Uh, great. Great song. Great song. Great song. Well, that about wraps it up for Neon Bible. It is time for our rankings. Um, so out of five Bibles, uh, what are you giving this, uh, this record, Eric? This record, uh, this record gets a, a sweet, a sweet uh, four, bi- four out of five Bibles for me. And I had nothing but good things to say about it, and it's truly great. I just, it's just not something I reach for often, but when I do reach for it, this is what you get. You get you get uh you get so many so many wonderful moments. Um and uh I did I I did start veering from the kind of indie rock as it got a little too twangy or jangly. Um but they make up for it with uh pretty incredible big production and and it does it really the bells and whistles do really uh make nice icing on the cake for me. Um so don't always reach for it. Uh, but when I do, four out of five, lovely. Yeah, that's respectable. Uh, Steven, how many Bibles are you giving this bad boy? I give it 3.9. Originally, I would have given it 3.1. But in listening to it more, I swapped all my rankings around. For some reason, this was my least favorite uh, Arcade Fire album until uh, a week ago. And like I said earlier, Arcade Fire really hasn't made any bad records. And so now I place this third in the mix. It comes in behind Reflector, and it's almost tied with uh, either Funeral or that album, uh, what's the last one? We, or the fuck it was called, Wee. which I really like. But they haven't made any bad ones. It's, 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 it's either near the top or in the middle. So it's, it's a good album. Uh, I just wasn't very familiar with it, even though I owned it for years until recently. And I was like, holy shit, this record's great. So it's in the upper threes. There you go. That's that's not bad. Uh, I give it a 4.7. 
Um, I do think this is my personal favorite uh, record of theirs. I do like them kind of being a little bit more angry, um, more so than what you kind of find. Some of the themes they do go back to on Reflector, but they kind of have more of an upbeat sound to it. So it's it goes down a little easier. Uh, you know, the song Reflector is once again about uh, reflecting on who we are in this digital age. Um, and Reflector is a very like sprawling record. It's sometimes kind of uh, messy. Uh, I do like that, but it's also kind of long. Um, I don't know if I have ever sat in one sitting to listen to Reflector. It's always one that I have to take a pause from. Uh, so with that, I do think Neon Bible is my personal favorite, and I'm not giving it a perfect five because this album is got some creaky parts in there that uh, you have to be in a mood for it, you know, and there's some of their records that I could just throw on um, with no problem, like Funeral. I could listen to that one back to front. I like that one quite a bit. I just think that this one has just better production and lyrical content uh, resonates with me just a little bit more. Uh, the Suburbs would probably be my least favorite. Um, and even though there has got a lot of bangers on there. Um, Is that a double album? But uh, uh, Suburbs wasn't, no. Um, oh. Everything Now is kind of their sleeper one. Uh, a lot of people think that one is their worst one, um, but still pretty good. Uh, but uh, it's got some ABBA-esque moments on everything now, especially that title track. Um, oh, I love that title track. Oh, it's great, uh, um, but it sounds comforts, like Dancing Queen. Creature Comfort. Yeah, uh, Put Your Money on Me, um, Electric Blue. There's some, there's some good tracks on everything now. Uh, the song Peter Pan is kind of goofy, um, but um, yeah, Creature Comforts is a good one. So it's time to bid adieu to Arcade Fire. Let them go back into uh, Canada. And let's go into our next uh, our next little bit of musical adventures. What um, is next? What is next? That's a seven. A seven. All right. It is time to gear up, turn on, and check out Florence and the Machine from 2011, the record ceremonials. Somehow this has become the fucking, uh, probably like a whole indie rock phase. Which is, uh, interesting <laughs> to me. This That's is, right. These, like these, out of all the bands you could pair up, this is like the only band that would have opened up for Arcade Fire. So. It's Strange. kismet. That's it's my kismet. Pick. It's your pick. We, we threw we threw somebody off. I'm not even going to say who it was, but we we decided nope, we don't want to do that band. And I backfilled them with our uh, with Florence. So there you go. I do think it's right that we do because when we look at the list, we don't really have a lot of female fronted acts um, or front and center, and I think it's appropriate to uh, kind of mix it up a little bit. So I'm really excited because I know nothing about Florence and the Machine. Same blind spot, nothing, nothing. I may recognize the song. Extreme blind spot for both of you, and you'll both be like, "Oh, Steve, why didn't you fucking you know push this on me harder?" And I'll say, 
Didn't I always push music on you guys hard? You bitch at me about eating vegetables. So here you go. <laughs> well, I'm excited. Vegetables. I, how many records does she have? And because uh, I do plan on maybe going through a little bit after just five, dabbling on this. Five, it's not she. It's a band, but five. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go through. I'll She's go just through the, all of the front. I mean, Steve probably did say eat your vegetables with this, but that was in between uh, mud vein or something. So you just had to pick that week. Which one you were going to eat your vegetables to? I, I would love if she covered Mudvayne, but she does do a, uh, her and Josh Homie do a song together on their Unplugged album. So start there. Ooh, that's fun. All right, everybody. Uh, it is late. These gentlemen have to work in a couple hours. And so it is time to say we hope that we brought you closer to fire. Fire.